kids used to call me they used to call me carpoopia <laughs> i thought it was so funny kids are so freaking mean Try aren't they aren't they not no i mean the kids i nanny oh my god that's even worse right that's oh, so shit. mean <laughs> anyway Ugh. how was your morning i was i'm very anxious about Why? doing this i took a xanax but i also took allergy medicine what? but i'm Wait, also gonna stressed? have an afternoon brew because i'm on vacation now are you stressed about this episode <laughs> you could not wait for this episode for like the longest time i'm super excited to do this episode however i know i need to like focus that energy and make it coherent and not just be like Wah! so this is well, gonna be interesting your notes are very meticulous i just i just did a skim i didn't read anything <laughs> i just skimmed and i was like wow and close out Put <laughs> all Virgo on this I'm just gonna let her <laughs> let her be Jesus and take the wheel because I have not I have no idea about any of this this is all you I think I have maybe one thing to contribute to this entire episode which I saw you put that in there but <laughs> it's kind of like with the Stevie Nicks thing I only knew like a little bit and I was okay. like you take it and I was also in not a good mental space so I was like listening back I was like wow Justina did an amazing job on those notes. Like Thank he did you. a really great job. Thank you. I loved listening to proud of that episode. I feel like I did. I'm, I hope I did her proud. If she ever listened to that. <laughs> Justina centric episode. We oui. sure. We, oui. oh, there was a lot of Patreon content, like after hours bonus content for that episode. Yeah. It's all up on the Patreon. You guys wanted all that Stevie Nicks goodness. Yeah. How was your morning? It was good. It was productive. We got our stones are garden stones because i'm making a phlox garden around a, the base of a tree got the phlox so finally got the phlox stones <laughs> <laughs> can you hear me are you saying anything something i'm giving fuck, up fuck. on you you can't hear are me. you fucking with me again oh. <laughs> <laughs> i'm really i'm, I'm singing okay. you a song i got it we're, we're in business what I happened where'd you. i go why? I was trying to put my blue, my headphones in. Oh, <laughs> are you fucking? Because, <laughs> like, because I like to, be, I like to have you loud. But uh, if it's loud on the computer, I'm afraid the mic will pick it up. And now you mean I'm not loud, loud enough as it is. You're loud in my With mouth. Freaking Jersey ass mouth. Two, two toes, Tony. <laughs> Tone it down, Tony. <laughs> Do that episode. Wait, hold on. The bullshit soda is that going to come out after this? Right before this. Right before. Okay. So then, so then people will know what we're talking about. Okay. Just check. Tone it down. Tone This month we're recording all yeah. Right. yeah. Oh my God. I listened to it twice. Cause I'm like, it's fucking funny. Tony, tone it down. Tone it down, Tony. You know what else? I, um, I got my little saguaro cactus necklace. Cause I know in that episode, I was like, I really want to, you know, it just resonated with me and I wanted the uh-huh. saguaro cactus necklace cactus necklace and i went back to listen to that episode i have something hold on i found this last night because i was watching stevie nicks music videos 
on her YouTube channel. Okay, so this started because I was going through my YouTube subscriptions looking for people to unsubscribe to that I just like yes. don't watch. I was cleaning shit out. And yes. then I was like, oh, I'm, sub- I'm subscribed to Stevie Nicks' YouTube channel. So I went down the rabbit hole, started watching her music videos, went in the rabbit hole even more, started looking up le- her uh, song facts lyrics to, yeah. I think it was Edge of Seventeen. But what I want to say is listening back to the Saguaro Cactus episode, I am so annoying and I hate it. I was like, I can't even finish listening to this because I sound insane. I don't know. I just like, I was like, oh my God, you're irritating. So I didn't finish it. What about it? I don't know. I don't know. Just that episode? Just me. All right. Okay. Um, So anyway, (laughs) I was, I was, uh, I was watching the edge of 17 music video and then I was like, you know what? I don't remember ever. Like I might've read this in her biography a while ago, but I don't remember. What are the, what are the lyrics to edge of 17? What was that about? So it was about, she wrote that song about the death of her uncle and the death of John Lennon kind of like simultaneously, but she spoke about it further in a video commentary. And you just talking about a saguaro cactus actually just made me remember this. So she spoke about the white winged dove and what the song means to her. And she said the white winged dove was for John Lennon, the dove of peace. And for her uncle, the white winged dove. Did you know white winged doves live in saguaro cactuses? No, that's cool. That's, that's well, she said, yeah, it was for my uncle. It was the white winged dove who lives in a saguaro cactus. That's how I found out about the white winged dove. And it makes the sound like, you know, when she sings in the chorus, ooh, ooh, ooh. ooh. Oh, yes, she made that sound after the white winged dove. And then she said, I read that somewhere in Phoenix and thought I would use that in the song. The the dove became exciting and sad and tragic and incredibly dramatic. Every time I sing the song, I have that ability to go back in that two month period where it all came down. Um, But I just thought that was weird how she wrote that Edge of Seventeen about the white winged dove that lives in the saguaro cactus and it's connected everything's connected it's all connected connected. (laughs) what (laughs) guys and also like we um there there's some goodies i know not it's we're not for everybody but for those of you who listen all the way to the very end like stick around for after that outro music because there's some goodies that might be revelations that come after the those you know outro what? musics christina's hinting to the last episode yes yeah go go yes, back and was. listen to to that after the outro music go back and listen to that just just a nice it sounds so creepy point. it's like it was a marco that we exchanged oh, the following day yeah i was at work whispering very loud into the phone and i'm just like but oh my God. it makes so much sense because can i say this because all i say it all i'll say is cal alive because not true love uh-huh just put that there okay uh, wait but is he got away with the women and the children right he got in the women and kid boat he's alive he right? is alive that's right because it's not true love not true love but cal is not true love but is billy zane true love <laughs> Fuck. is he no well no because he lived what but billy zane we've learned is not cal billy zane was a time jumper that went back into cal's body right but he lived Cal lived. Billy Zane is a time jumper. But <laughs> he, went, he went back into the future to be with Jillian to save her from Jimmy's demise or Jimmy's. Well, that story is unfinished. So we don't know it. if he's a true right. love yet. Okay. To be continued, everybody. We'll oh my God. cap it there because we can go <laughs> on and on for hours about this. And AI has done us no favors with just no. taking us deeper down the rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, what are we talking yeah. about today? Oh, by the way, hey, which hey. Hey, which hey, it's hey, good to see you. 
Yeah. Dude, we, we've gotten to do a lot of talking this week. And I know like it, we're just trying to get it in under the wire, but right, to, we're going to get down to business today. We're mm-hmm. going to be talking about Victorian architecture. Why? 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 You might ask why. So <laughs> we did that Owens episode way, way back episode four, something like that. Yep. And my mind just immediately, I started these notes like that following week. I was so excited about it. I was like, there's so much more about the Owens house we could talk about. So we're going to be talking about that whole time period today. All right. So we don't have any book or movie mentions for you today because this is like a little mini edition. It's not going to be a series, but there was, like I said, so much more to the Owen house we thought we could explore in that timeline. Um, So the Owens house episode was episode four. And we're talking about something that's so near and dear to my heart and something that it really excites me. I love architecture and um, might possibly bore the rest of you to tears, but we're going to talk about the Victorian era today and the pieces that make a Victorian home stand out so much. And I personally have had this subject on my mind since that episode, and I wanted to give the Owens House episode, I'm going to try to slow down. I'm so stoked. Just breathe. Breathe. Yeah, we're going to give um, that Owens episode. It's it's proper breathing room, uh, but we wanted to share this episode with you in honor of late Queen Victoria herself, whose birthday is on t- May 24th. And in addition, as uh, like my birthday is May 25th, oh, Justina sure. and I have, have made some decisions. So Gemini's sister. <laughs> Justina and I were talking about... Um, the little snafu that kind of happened with episode four, the Owens house. Some of you might've noticed it's only available on Spotify for Spotify listeners. Apple listeners can't get it. And this is because we naively added a song to that episode, but it's Spotify affiliate. So a lot of uh, other listeners can't view even view that episode in our catalog. So as a little birthday gift from us, and Queen Victoria to you, we're going to be re-releasing the Owens House episode in tandem with this episode. So this is coming out Friday. And then tomorrow, as you're listening, we're going to be re-releasing the Owens House episode. So it's on all platforms so everybody can hear it. And it's, it makes it a little easier to find too. Like if somebody stumbles across the Owens House, oh, they see right beside it, Victorian architecture. So yeah. we thought we would do that. Yeah, we took that. Because it's my birthday month. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. You share a birthday. Well, not share a birthday, but like you're kind of like uh, almost almost birthday buddies. buddies. Almost birthday yeah. buddies. Yeah. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. yeah. So we took that song out so we can get that up for you guys because we've been getting a lot of questions like, "What happened to episode four? Like, all Apple listeners would write us and be like, "What happened to episode four? Why can't I listen to episode four? And then we have to explain that you gotta listen to it on Spotify because we're we're dumb and put a mm. song. We didn't realize that if you put a song in, it doesn't show up for Apple podcast listeners because that's a Spotify only feature. So that yeah, yeah. The, the entire episode is kind of like just invisible to all po- Apple podcast listeners. Yeah. So and that wanted- one is so good. That is my yeah. favorite subject. You know, I love that house so much. Yeah. 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 So we're excited to be able to bring that to, to all Apple listeners now you'll be able to listen to that one all right so recapping a little bit on the owens house um we do recommend that you go back and listen to episode four maybe um i guess after this one is over if you are an apple podcast listener and now you will have access to that one go back and listen to that episode it's really informative but here's just a little tiny recap so the owens house was brought to life off the pages and onto the movie screen back in 1998 by robin standifer and Stephen alish of roman and williams and they had to build this massive house plant a garden and give the illusion of landscape and film trucks cranes dollies people etc without breaking any ground 
ground because I believe that was Native American ground, right? Yes. Um, they built it on a platform and Griffin Dunn, the director, said the garden as well was placed on top of the soil and it was like a huge sandbox. Stephen Alish said, we basically built a house from scratch. It was a magical version of a lighthouse meets residential East Coast Victorian. The producers were set on having a white house and for it to be very charming. They knew they wanted it to be from a Victorian era, but were trying to stay away from the Charles Adams style of house. They wanted to stay away from anything that looked occult. They thought that these Owens women were would be very tasteful witches, but Griffin says that it was very important that this house had a light romantic feeling and that they accomplished really well even more even so that Barbara Streisand called and wanted to buy the house and they had to break the news to her that it was just a shell that they were tearing down just for the movie I think Barbie called (laughs) oh my gosh yeah it is absolutely a beautiful home and we have a little more on it later and why it looks the way it does because I got to talk to somebody and we'll get to that a little later about like the co- the color was very important at that time but we'll get we'll get there shortly mm-hmm. again guys we love our listeners I'll try to put this as like I'll try to make this as fun as possible but we're gonna give you the history of the Victorian era <laughs> <laughs> to me I feel so guilty about like making our listeners sit through this but I know somebody out there is gonna love it Mm-hmm. one person well that's the so beauty the- about our show is that like every single episode is about something extremely different like yeah it all falls under the practical magic umbrella but there's different topics some people might not be into certain topics some people might be into certain topics so we completely understand that not everybody listens to these episodes in order feel free to jump around as things interest you um, but we do hope you stick around because Christina did a lot of research for this and there's a lot of great information and we know we all love that beloved Owen's house everybody you can't think about that movie without thinking about the house if there so, is one person out there who's like, that's an ugly house, like, I really, really would like to know like, the what? reasoning. Right. Yeah, like, okay, explain, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, But yeah, it's going to be a, a great episode with a lots of lots of information. And I think it's great to know the origins of things, Um, mm-hmm. you know, even before we fall in love with the things that we fall yeah. in love with. Another thing that we forgot to mention in the recap, the whole bit about the, like, the lighthouse and that whole conversation we had about the lighthouse in the house episode. Yeah. I thought that was fascinating. Oh, absolutely. Oh, so cool. I don't know if there's anything about lighthouses in this, but um, I just wanted to throw throw that out there. I don't think I included it, but you're right. I was like, wait, what? I was like, yeah, yeah, that was cool. And then I was like, oh shit, we went down a whole rabbit hole on like women lighthouse keepers, you know? Brenda. Brenda. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's the song that that, uh, that fucked us us from (laughs) Apple Podcasts. Sorry, guys. Anyway, go on. Uh, Christina, why don't you tell us about the history of, I guess, the Victorian era and Victorian homes? You got it. So when we think of like Victorian architecture, it's not really one specific style. It's a era between 1837 and 1901. And so within that umbrella, there's probably like nine or 10 different styles of quote unquote, Victorian architecture. And we'll get to that. I have a whole graph. I got a graph. So between that time, (laughs) laughing at you, laughing at me. I'm sorry. I'm like, you got graphs, you got charts, (laughs) organization. 
I love it. <laughs> so this was a time of great innovation and development in architecture, as well as a period of significant social and cultural change. So during this time, architects and builders were inspired by a range of styles and, and influences from Gothic revival to arts and crafts movements. And the legacy of Victorian architecture can still be seen in many of our cities and towns today, and it continues to inspire architects and designers around the world. In this episode, we are going to explore key features and styles of the Victorian architecture, as well as the social and historical context in which it emerged. So what was occurring in America and across and across the globe at that time is the result of adjusting to the changes brought about by the industrial revolution. We're going to be talking about this on and off throughout this whole thing, but it was really like the gunpowder, the Kickstarter that brought this whole Victorian architecture style into being. So this allowed, you know, for travel and expansion in the world. The Victorian era was marked by various uh, revivals, such as like Egyptian and Persian revivals and which were influenced by the exposure to different cultures through travel. Like you got to think about this time, like we're getting like railroads across the country and like easier modes of transportation. So people are, are seeing, um, and even like the Chicago world's fair was, was huge. You know, people were being introduced at this time to fucking cracker jacks, you know, for the very first time in the Ferris wheel. So people are just their minds are exploded and as well as having picnics and graveyards, you know, which sounds <laughs> lovely. So in the past, people rarely left their hometowns, but with the advent of railroads and travel became becoming more accessible, this led to an emergence of touring companies. So the key elements of Victorian architecture is number one, there are usually two to three stories. Victorian homes are usually large and imposing. They usually have a wood or stone exterior. The majority of Victorian styles used wood siding, but the Second Empire and Romanesque styles almost always have outer walls made of stone. They have a complicated asymmetrical shape. Unlike the boxy Greek Revival style, Victorian homes have wings and bays in many directions. They have a lot of decorative trim. Commonly called gingerbread, Victorian homes are usually decorated with elaborate wood or metal trim, which is like what you see in like a lot of dollhouses, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. I love, I love that look. Me too. Uh, textured wall surfaces. Scalloped shingles, patterned masonry or half timbering, are commonly used to dress up Victorian siding. They have steep multifaceted roof or a mansard roof. Victorian homes often have steep imposing roof lines with many gables facing in different directions. The Second Empire Victorian style has a flat-topped mansard roof with windows in the side to allow for maximum space inside the house. Mansard roof is a four-sided gambrel style hip roof characterized by two slopes on each of its sides with the lower slope punctured by dormer windows at a steeper angle than the upper. Typically will look flat when viewed from the ground level. Uh, Victorian homes usually have a one-story portrait Porch. A large wraparound porch with ornamental spindles and brackets is common, especially in the Queen Anne style, which is that beautiful porch they have in the Practical Magic House, right? Yes. Oh, love it. <laughs> um, they usually have towers. So this, I guess this could mean the lighthouse. Some high-end Victorian homes are embellished with a round or octagonal tower with a steep pointed roof. And also Victorian homes usually have a lot of vibrant colors. Before the Victorian era, most houses were painted all one color, usually white or beige. But by 1887, bright earth tones like burnt sienna and mustard yellow were in vogue rainbow houses right like uh -huh. they're so beautiful yeah yeah i don't have the guts to do that i really do want to put like like little embellishments on my front porch like the owens have just to just to like give it like a little character but 
right. not going crazy with color. So oh, I would make my house that color in a heartbeat. If Avi would let me do it, fuck what color? Yeah. What I would colors? I would probably do like the Coraline house, like a like a pink. Oh, love it. I mean, look at my office. You I love have, pink. I have the my my walls to match the outside of my house. Like ugh, I just love that pink. <laughs> pink and black. I love that. Mm. Moffit. Moffit. <laughs> So they were able to build like this and put these new, like never before seen features into homes like this because of this industrial revolution. So 1760 to 1840 was around that time of the industrial revolution, but it really didn't start until after the civil war. And that's 1860-ish. So because of machinery changes, they could build like that. After the revolution, they could do that elaborate mill work and it could be done at a much cheaper cost. So carved wood could come in all various shapes and sizes, like the spindles and things that Justina was saying, with really intricate ornamentation. Stain grade wood was the thing. If you had a home with like the dark wood that could take that stain, you were like the shit. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it was used for finishing and staining and it wasn't commonly available before this revolution. Before carpenters would have to plane down wood. And when like somebody planes downward, they're taking like a big razor. I'm trying to put it in like, if somebody doesn't know anything about planning, take it like a big razor, making the piece of wood smooth. So to make a floor smooth. And sometimes they would have to do this on really long runs of flooring, like that were like five inches wide. And this couldn't be done by just a hand planer pushing a pushing a hand tool by yourself. Sometimes it would take two people. And I've even seen where the planer would have um, little holes poked in it so it could be strung to the ceiling. And one person would be hanging, holding on to the planer and the apprentice would be pushing that person across oh, wow. the floor to plane it. And sometimes they'd even have to use horses. Uh-huh. So after the invention of the planing mills, these projects could be automated and hardwoods could be used not just for furniture, they were being used inside the home. And some companies were claiming that their mills could do it at a 30% less um, like labor intensive uh, fraction than, than doing it by hand. So millwork magazines and catalogs start showing up after the Civil War and railroads help expand things much farther. Now people could skim through these catalogs and order all kinds of molding and little details and, you know, make their house unique, but also standardized. You know, it was so much easier to make. So timber framing used to take skilled laborers at the time who were practiced in in that connecting these huge logs to create the structures but after 1860 a thing called stick framing came into play and there's no joinery there's no like pretty little you know pockets of joinery they're just taking nails and driving them into wood to connect the pieces so woods like cherry maple walnut mahogany and other expensive woods were hallmarks of really nice houses and that oftentimes would switch between rooms and this was kind of a way to show off like like what they were doing and it was a dramatic change from what used to be in homes, as well as being able to show now the use of harder woods, like I mentioned. Mills now gave builders the option to use these beautiful mahoganies, walnuts, oaks, cherries that used to be exclusively for furniture. Now they were being used in the structure of the home. You also have the rise of the middle class who are now able to buy more houses. In the early days, carpenters would hand down their plan books to architects. However, later on with the emergence of magazines such as Ladies Home Journal, house plans 
became more accessible to the public. They weren't just being passed down through the line of laborers. Mm -hmm. And while this increased accessibility, it did not necessarily mean that the designs were good, but it did make the designs more accessible to a broader audience. Standardization, like I said, was huge after the 1860s. That meant that the molding being sold in Chicago was the exact same one sold in New York and houses were going up so fast and everything was just so much more accessible. So the reason why the Victorian era houses look the way they do was because the machines enabled them to do so. They were mechanized and fairly cheap. The houses looked like that because they could. They were like, they had the capacity to be like, look what I can do. Um, so not just the woodwork either. You're looking at like the formed copper or the roof crestings or the little uh, fennels that are the like the, the spires at the top on the roof lines. And that was all made possible by um, the mechanization during that time. We're going to talk about class separation. So during this time, we have to remember house staff was still a very real thing. The whole upstairs, uh, the Ups whole, uh, like, up, what? yeah, like, you know, uh, like the upstairs, downstairs, like Downton Abbey, like there's the family and then the downstairs is like the, the staff. Yeah. You know, I never watched that, that show. You need to watch it. My mom, my mom and dad are about that show like they're all it's about so it. good is it you i thought it was just it. like a boring british show it's good is it drama is there it's so drama it's oh geez drama. maggie smith is in that right she's amazing okay i'll yeah, watch yeah. it for her because she reminds me of my grandma joan so i'll watch Aww. it for her grandma joan oh, <laughs> grandma joan oh yeah but my mom talks about it all the time and she's gonna be so if she listens to this she's gonna be so pissed that she's like oh you're watching it because christina told you to watch it not because i told you <laughs> So. I won't tell her. I won't tell her. <laughs> but, but yeah, but she, like it, they were called like there's a book also called up, Upstairs Downstairs. Okay. All right. Yeah. I had no idea. And this staff would often live in the same home as they work. And there are homes that you can see this class separation just within the woodwork. Many times this was evident in wood that was simply paint grade, not stain grade. Stain grade wood was higher class. The family could have oak floors within their side of the house and the staff would have, say, pine floors, which are much mm -hmm. more simple. Wow, yeah. that's like a really big fuck you. Like, you know, <laughs> like, oh, you're just the it's, help. You get the pine floor. It's really cool to see. I had not, I did not know that. And when I, when I thought of that, this next little thing, I was like, boom, like this makes so much sense. And I don't know if we touched on this at all in the the house episode, mm -hmm. but um, we're going to talk about it a little more later on. Oh, something else that continues on will be stairs. The concept, like the whole premise around stairs and class separation in Victorian homes. So many of these homes, just like the Owens house would have more than one set of stairs. And it was because this specific purpose of keeping, you know, the staff separate from the family. So it allowed the staff to have access to the whole house, but ultimately never have to be seen. If you notice in the Owens house that they have that big grand staircase at the front door and it's wide and it's not steep. It has some, some cool like little switchback things, but they're, they're pretty big. Mm -hmm. Um, and it would easily allow two people to pass each other if one was going up and one was coming down. And it only goes to the second floor. However, the back stairs are much skinnier and they wind all the way up to the attic where maybe the staff might have lived. And where do those stairs begin? Right in the kitchen. Oh, where the staff would be preparing food and totally. I guess. Yeah. Okay. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And it has access to the dining room. It has that secret back hallway that leads to the other side of the house. If somebody in the living room calls for them, they, they don't have to go through where people can see them. And um, you'll notice in 
the, any of the scenes where the women are coming down those stairs, they're coming down single file. They're never beside each other because they're skinny. You know, they're much, much skinnier. But I just thought that was so neat. And, and to think of that house yeah. hypothetically having staff, the, the layout they chose. And I know that the kitchen has a back door, which may they may or may not have had deliveries to, like milk or groceries. Nosy neighbors asking for Nosy spell. neighbors. That <laughs> secret back... Um, that little back passage mm-hmm. also leads to another back door. The one where they prepare. Let me get my model out for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wait, are you talking about the back room that has um, like the fridge and all the herbs and stuff? No, ma'am. Okay, which, wait. Which, which back way? room okay. are you talking about? So here's like the normal back stairs we see them come out of all the time. That's okay. what you're pointing to. Those stairs, that's the conservatory right there. This is, this comes out of the kitchen. Here's the conservatory. However, oh, okay. Okay. if we go this way, there's a door back here. So oh, there would be another way for them to access deliveries that is not visible to the rest of the house. So Wait, that, so pretty... that back door, was that shown in the movie at all? It's not, but it's on the blueprints. Shut up. Shut up. Crazy. <laughs> get out my diorama that's so funny you're funny Uh, okay so we're gonna go over i mentioned that time span the victorian era so um justine is gonna take us through there's one two three four five six seven eight nine ten different design types i guess Mm -hmm. themes of -hmm. houses that come that show up during that time So a common mental image of a Victorian home looks much like a dollhouse with elaborate trim and bright colors. But the term Victorian architecture actually refers to styles that emerged in the period between 1830 and 1910 during the reign of Queen Victoria. The Victorian era spawned several well-known styles, including... Some of this, some of this list below, this beautifully color-coded chart that Christina made for us, we will... I did not make this. Oh, you didn't make make this? this. Okay. I just found it. Maybe we could put this up on the Patreon so people can get a visual sense of what this looks like. Totally. Um, So the different types of Victorian style houses. So I guess it said it started 1830, but there's nothing listed under this block for this. It doesn't look like it really starts until 1840 with the Gothic Revival. Right. So yeah, so 1840 Gothic Revival and that kind of spans a little into toward more toward 1850. And then in 1850, between 1850 and 1870, we have Exotic, we have Folk Victorian, and then starting around 1860, spanning between 1860 and 1870, we have Italianate. I guess that's Italianate. Italianate? Italianate. Italianate. I was saying Italianate like an Italian. <laughs> We can go with Italianate. I want to do that now. Italianate. Italianate. Um, so so we have Italianate, Italianate, and Second Empire. Uh, then between 1860 and 1890, we have the stick style. Are we going to go into a little bit more about what each of these are? are you yes, get- ma'am. Okay. And then 1880 to 1910, we have Queen Anne. Then 1880, between 1880 and 1890, the Romanesque Revival. Then between 1880 and 1900, we have the Shingle Style. And then between 1890 and 1900, we have the Colonial Revival. So this spans really, a really long time. A really long time. It looks like stick style 
and Queen Anne had the biggest, like, yeah, they were the shit. Biggest you know, they had the longest span. Yeah. Um, after you read through these and tell us about all of these, I want to know what your favorite style is, like mm-hmm. having been told more about them. Okay. So I don't know what my, my favorite is. Okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, we're, we're going to start with the Gothic Revival, and this is between the years 1840 and 1850. Just 10 short years. This this did not last too long, it seems, right? Um, so this is, Christina put, hashtag Adams Family. So if you were to think of what this style is, think of the Adams Family style house. So the, the Gothic Revival house is characterized by steeply pitched roofs, pointed arched windows, elaborate verge board trim along roof edges, Hi, Christina. Are you like trusses right now? I'm just saying holding on to my chair. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. The use of lancet windows and other gothic details and board and batten siding often set vertically rather than horizontally. The greatest concentration of classic gothic revival houses in New England, but the more modest folk Victorian houses, which were built by working class Victorians, eventually became so ubiquitous it is almost impossible to imagine an America not covered coast to coast with them. In Midwestern farming communities in particular, the style exhibited incredible durability, and in folk Victorian form, was still being built as late as the 1940s. So the next one we have is the Exotic, which was between 1850 and 1872. Again, not that long. Christina explained this one as more of a hashtag Miss Peregrine and the home of peculiar children kind of house. Beautiful house. You, I'm so sure pretty. it's beautiful. I've never seen. Do you know I've never seen that movie? It's good. Can you I liked I've it. Never seen that movie. I always see the books like walking through Target. And I'm like, oh, those books look really cool. And then yeah. they made the movie, and I freaking never saw it. And I think it's Tim Burton. <laughs> Isn't that Tim Burton? Is oh, I think I that's know. a Tim Burton movie. Um, so these houses, the exotic style, they're octagonal houses in particular enjoyed a certain minor vogue in the 1850s almost solely through the efforts of one man, Orson Fowler. And he published a book called The Octagon House, A Home for All, in which he claimed that the eight-sided house could provide more sunlight and more ventilation between rooms, promoted easy traffic flow, and made more efficient use of interior space for a given amount of building material. There are only a few hundred octagon houses left standing, mostly in New York, New England, and the West Coast. The spl- I bet you I bet you the West Coast, I bet you it's San Francisco because they have all those like really beautiful Wait, is this the exotic or is this the Miss Peregrine? But it's the exotic Miss Peregrine. Oh, okay. Oh, that's gorgeous. Isn't it stunning? That's gorgeous. Look at that conservatory. <gasps> oh. Dude, that kind of looks like, have you ever seen Christine McConnell's house? Yes. Oh, I freaking love her. Dude, her house. She's gorgeous. She's like if Tim Burton and Martha Stewart had a baby. 100%. Um, She bought a house. I think she's in New England now. She was on the West Mm -hmm. Coast. She came out to New England and her house is just stunning. It's stunning. So amazing. She does. Have you ever watched any of her YouTube videos? Yeah. You like restores. She has a video of her restoring wallpaper. The wallpaper. By I've hand. Seen one. It's so amazing. It's so detailed. She's she's just amazing. She made, we're gonna talk about the Winchester Mystery House, but she made a replica of the Winchester Mystery House out of gingerbread. Right. What? <laughs> this woman. I love her. <sighs> she's just goals. Like 
we love a creatrix right anyway so there are a few hundred of these octagon houses left standing so next up is the folk victorian and this span from 1850 to 1870 so the classic victorian styles gothic revival italianate second empire stick you style. didn't do it what italianate thank you <laughs> Italianate, Second Empire, that sounds like a Star Wars reference, yes. Sixth Style, Romanesque Revival, and Shingle Style. They were created by professional architects and were built mostly by the well-to-do. But the lower reaches of the middle class certainly shared the same Victorian urge to live in a fashionable house. And if they couldn't afford a professional architect, well, they could design the house themselves or have a local carpenter, carpenter do it. In either case, the design was likely to be an unprofessional but possibly still charming how do you say that pastiche that sounds right including elements of styles that were still currently fashionable among the upper crust and elements of styles that definitely were not also <laughs> the house would naturally tend to be smaller and plainer than what the wealthy could afford the result is folk victorian the house shown here which we will link below <gasps> and also look where it is okay wait sorry i'm gonna look it up okay keep reading so, this house which is the compass rose bed and breakfast on whidbey island Washington. Oh my God. Look at that. All right. I'm looking it up. All right. So is as typical as you could want, considering mm. that folk Victorians by definition are all over the map. This house is sort of Gothic revival in terms of its roof line and the two symmetric wings, but the center tower is, oh, that looks like, that looks more like the um, charmed house. It mm. does. But I think the charmed house is technically a different style. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And it, it's more like pink, right? The charm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's so pretty. It's beautiful. Love that. Okay, so this house is sort of a gothic revival in terms of its roof line and the two symmetric wings, but the center tower is vaguely like an Italianate villa. And there are some applied decorations that remind one of the stick style. One could call it Queen Anne, since the Queen Anne is also unpredictably eclectic, but that is too simplistic. The classic Queen Anne is very elaborate. Compare this house with the two pictured in the Queen Anne section, and in terms of its complexity, this house is certainly closer in spirit to the Gothic rustic styles than it is to the Queen Anne. There are no bay windows, no balconies, no overhangs on the second floor, etc. The exact division between Queen Anne and folk Victorian is very fuzzy, especially considering how many of the smaller Queen Anne's were hodgepodge together by local carpenters rather than designed by architects. But... Folk Victorians were being built long before the Queen Anne style appeared on the scene, and in any case, it is still useful to make a rough distinction between the more expensive, very elaborate architect-designed Victorians, uh, also known as Queen or Queen Anne Victorians, and their less expensive, plainer, carpenter-designed cousins, the Folk Victorian. So now we're gonna get into my favorite one, Italianate. Italianate. <laughs> And this, these were between 1860 to 1870. And again, these did not last too long either. Called Italianate because it looks like, because it, it looks <laughs> to the country, sorry, because it looked to the country villas of Northern Italy for its inspiration. The style was characterized by a rectangular massing of the body of the house, often arranged picturesquely into asymmetric blocks to imitate the sprawling look of centuries-old villas in Italy that had been modified and enlarged by many generations. The style also featured low-pitched, often flat roofs, heavy supporting brackets under the eaves, 
often elaborately carved, and windows with heavy hoods or elaborate surrounds. The style often features a square tower or a cupola, in which case it is sometimes referred to as Tuscan. Um, hashtag house from under the Tuscan sun. I don't know. That's, yeah, I get that's a villa. Yeah. That movie is so cute, by the way. That's so cute. One of my favorite movies to put on when I'm just, like, not feeling good or I'm sick or I just want to be comforted. It's just so good. So good. It's such a feel good. Yeah. Um, and then we have the Second Empire, which also only lasted about 10 years, the same spanning the same years, 1860 to 1870. And Christina describes this as hashtag the house from Psycho. Awesome. Uh, did you see ever see uh, the Bates Motel show? Yes. The show was so good. Um, yes. Have you I ever been to that? No, I would have loved to. I think that man who played Norman Bates, the hell's his name? I don't remember his Anthony name. Anthony Perkins. Anthony oh, Perkins. Okay. he's so cute. Yeah. In the uh what's it called? The the backlot tour? The Holly in uh was it Universal Studios backlot tour in LA? Um they drive past the 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 Bates Motel and then yeah. they also drive past I guess the house cuz mm-hmm. they're on the same mm-hmm. backlot. And when you drive past the motel, a guy dressed like Norman Bates, he runs out with a knife and he like I've seen that. He goes up to your trolley car and he just like (laughs) pretends to like stab you and then he just like kind of looks at you and the the car the car just keeps driving. He just stands there and he just like he's still standing there with the knife and you just see him as you're going off into the distance. You're like, okay, when is he gonna when is he gonna move? Like this is so creepy. (laughs) I think oh I love that character. A boy's best friend is his mother. So creepy. Oh so creepy. So creepy. Beautiful house though. All that taxidermy. Yeah. Um so the house from Psycho, that's the Second Empire style. So the most distinguishing characteristic of the style is the mansard roof, which is also, uh, which is almost always heavily pierced with dormer windows featuring very elaborate surrounds. Color tile patterns on the roof and iron crestings were also often incorporated. The style took its inspiration from French architecture, which had come to feature mansard roofs named after the French architect Francois Mansard. Say that right? Mostly Italianate. Italianate. Mostly as a dodge to get around the Paris building codes. The codes limited buildings to a certain number of stories, but since the area directly under the roof was not considered to be a story, the mansard roof was a very effective way to expand the living space of a building and still remain within the law. Oh my god, I mm-hmm. love how they found these little loopholes. That's awesome. The Owens house kind of has that mansard mm. roof just at that very front. You know where like the front door is? And it... Let me get out my... <laughs> this. Get out your diagram. This right here. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, it is flat. Well, I guess this is too, because they were able to walk on it, but right. How do, I've never seen the top of one. And I'm really interested to know like what kind of like grooving did they have to do to allow water to drain? You right. know? That's that's interesting to me. Fascinating. So so yeah, they found all those little loopholes to be able to expand their living space. And in America, it was the only look and the romance of the style which appealed to the Victorian upper crust, and they sometimes added corner coins, uh, belt courses, and other decorations to give the style even more of a Renaissance flavor. Very elaborate Second Empire mansions are sometimes referred to as Renaissance Revival. So there you go. Um, The next one we're going to talk about is the stick style. 
And this was between 1860 to 1890. And Christina describes this as the hashtag charms, hashtag witches of East End style homes. Yeah. I love the witches of East End kitchen and their garden. Oh, yes, oh, I do too. I love how she has her like studio, art studio right off the kitchen. It's like all windows. Goals. Oh, Goals. so sweet. And it's the uh, same house, right? They use that same house in both of those shows. Was it the same house? Charmed and so. Witches of East End? Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Um, wait, the kitchen I thought was different though. Like I think the interiors were different. Maybe the exterior yes. they just used the same house. Yes. Right? Okay. All right. So for the stick style, the single most distinguishing feature of the style is very is small vertical, horizontal, or diagonal planks placed on top of the exterior walls. I want to see what this looks like because I can't picture what that looks like. Okay. The style is often associated with houses featuring enormous overhanging second-story porches, sometimes called Swiss chalet houses. Um, Stick-style houses, which feature additional applied decoration, like that near the top of the house in the photo, Oh, so did this come with a reference photo? It's, this will uh, be linked. All the photos okay. will be in the, this right. website. So, so, um, so the additional applied decoration are sometimes called Eastlake after British furniture designer and arbiter of taste, Charles Eastlake. An arbiter of taste? Was he like a what is that trendsetter? I guess so. Weird. Is that the Victorian way of saying trendsetter? You're an arbiter. Arbiter of taste. <laughs> I love that. Oh my god, I want that on a shirt. <laughs> Hashtag Magnolia Street. We're gonna we're gonna be using that one now. You arbiter, arbiter of taste. Every time, yeah, Christina, I like your new shirt. You're like an arbiter of taste. Yeah. But you have to say like a valley girl. So like arbiter of taste. You can make it more current. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> make it a vibe. It's a so it's that's just the vibe. You're an arbiter of taste. Okay. East Lake. Anyway, had no interest in architecture. And when he discovered that those balmy colonists had named an entire style of hideously un-British house decoration after him, he issued a furious disclaimer disavowing any responsibility for it. What? <laughs> How dare you? Damn. Blasphemy. Um, next Charlatan. Week- Charlatan. <laughs> my favorite word <laughs> we have the queen anne which is our beloved hashtag practical magic house hashtag prac mag. prac mag. and this span between 1880 to 1910 the queen anne style is vaguely related to the jacobean architecture and jacobean refers to english architecture during the period 1603 to 1625 this style featured textured surfaces on buildings including decorative patterns made of wood or stone and various colors of shingles and slate the queen anne style started from this modest beginning and metamorphosized into the beautiful houses we admire today this style is more original or more american if you will than the gothic italianate or second (laughs) empire styles because it became more far more dynamic and pushed much further beyond its roots than then did the other styles it is a mystery where the queen anne name comes from because because <laughs> because now i'm just making all my words italian because the architecture during the reign of the historic queen anne was between 1665 to 1714 and that has little in common with the jacobean architecture so it's so question. cool like what the hell yeah, so this says this, the Jacobean refers to architecture during the period between 1603 and 1625. So right. the 1600s, so that was like around the time when Maria would have been <gasps> around, right? 
Shut up. Yeah, yes. right? What what you look up this Jacobean architecture because I didn't look anything further into it. That is interesting. Oh, reading. <clears throat> that would find that makes perfect sense. That that her house would be the Queen Anne, which is described as the practical magic house. Ooh, that's fucking lit. Uh, do you remember Tomb Raider? Remember, yeah, but like, I don't Laura remember wait, her Lara house. Croft. I don't remember the house. Her manor okay, her manor house kind of gives me that vibe. Let me Your screen share my screen. I'm going. Oh wow. You know what that house reminds me of? Hmm. Did you see Knives Out? Yes. Oh, right? I love that house. Yeah. 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 Oh, what's it called? What are they called? A chateau? It's more of like chateau style. Dude, d- there's people on YouTube that are like restoring chateaus. Have you seen those people? I've seen one called like Doing It Ourselves or something yes. like that. Doing It Ourselves. And also he has a friend. I forget her name, but she's doing one. Her channel's called Chateau Diaries. Oh, cool. Have you seen... Yeah. Um, Escape to the Chateau. That's what it's called. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm, oh. I'm sure I'm probably following them. I follow all these Chateau people. Um, because like it's just like these these like normal people, like these normal you know mundane people who buy these chateaus for really cheap, mm-hmm. and then they're left to restore them. And they film the process on YouTube. So what ends up happening is like all these people like me, like you, Girl, are like you would love this so show. overtaken with what these people are doing. They have so many patrons that are funding the restoration of these uh, chateaus. Incredible. So they barely, I, they probably barely even have to dig into pocket to restore things because their patrons just throwing money at them. Really cool. All right. Yeah. So yeah. So I was just wondering if Maria would have been... I guess around that, yeah, around during that time, if she yeah. was in the uh, Jacobean style Queen Anne, I um, really like your theory that you brought up a while ago of that. Like, if this house was built, it probably was kind of pieced together and mm-hmm. added on to over time. Mm-hmm. I really like that idea because, like, yeah, eighteen eighty to nineteen ten, yeah. we yeah. knew the Owens. We we know the Owens were living there way earlier. Mm-hmm. Sure. And if Rose from the <gasps> Titanic was living there, yeah. I'm sure she added her own touches in yeah. there. Oh yeah, all the different kinds of woods that they were mentioning. Um, I forget which which one we were talking about, but basically like all the woods that Maria had access to from all those different trees on her property. Didn't it say that she like all the wood she used in the house was from like all like the different trees from around the world that Samuel would bring to bring Yeah, back? it was like 15 different types of wood were used yeah. in the house or something like yeah. that. So yeah. she was mm-hmm. rolling in that dough. Yep. Yep, yep. All right. So we're going to move on to the Romanesque revival, which uh, lasted between 1880 to 1890, just a little short 10-year blip. Uh, this one uh, was described as Christina by hashtag Hill House. Which was the Hill House? Do you remember Haunting at Hill House? Did you see that movie? Or show? Sorry, it was a show. Yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, Haunting yeah. at Hill House. Okay, yeah. got it. So due to the immense expense of building in solid stone, the Romanesque revival style was used far more often for public buildings than for private. And the bulk of the surviving examples are churches, university buildings, public libraries, etc., However, it did enjoy a certain vogue among I love how they keep using vogue like among the extremely wealthy, and any number of surviving Victorian mansions are built in this style. Most Romanesque revival mansions share one thing with the Queen Anne houses that the middle class was building at about the same time. They feature a romantic and complex floor plan, complete with towers, turrets, and uh how do you say it? Turrets? Not turrets. <laughs> turrets. <laughs> Turrets. 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 Many gables, 
and so on. Um, <laughs> dude, I want, I love my house. I love my house. Don't get me wrong. But to like to have a house with like Eagles. a wing and mm-hmm. like secret passages. Yeah. Ideal. Yeah. Ideal for a haunting, but ideal. Oh, lovely. You got to move to uh, to New England for a house like that. Or even Savannah, Georgia has like really, really cool, in- like interesting, intricate unique houses um i have a little bit later on about specifically southern styles we we don't expand on it but there's a really cool pdf that i found about like victorian southern houses okay cool cool um have you ever been to savannah a lot i was like 14 it's adorable my brother went to college there um and he actually he was he lived in one of those old older style houses um so yeah uh, all right. So next we're going to move on to the shingle style, which was also, this was between 1880 to, to 1900. And Christina describes this as the hashtag Grey Gardens. Yes. What's the Grey Gardens? Grey Gardens was like a documentary back in the day about um, Jackie Onassis's cousins, I believe, mm-hmm. that lived in like kind of like a Cape Coddy style house, but they were socialites at the time, but they kind of like fell on rough times and like their house ended up being like a shit show. Like you should watch Great Gardens. It's hilarious. Actually, um, what's her name? Drew Barrymore. They remade it with Drew Barrymore and Jessica Lange. Oh. Like, I don't know, 2000s. I don't know. But they end up like eventually like raccoons are living in their house and they have all these stray cats and Jackie Onassis comes to like help them. So she cleans up the house, like she has people help it clean up and it just turn, it just goes back to like shit. Oh, it's crazy. But the house is cool. The house is yeah, really neat. Go back to shit. I don't know. This is you only- would like it. It's really fucking goofy. It's not <laughs> meant to be, but. Oh, okay. All like right. It. I'll check that out. So the style was originally created for the super wealthy who liked to build vast vacation cottages by the sea but wanted them to look rustic rather than formal i'm not certain if any of those original vast shingle style houses exist or not um but because the upkeep of such a huge wooden structure right beside the (laughs) right beside the ocean is daunting dude one like rogue wave would just wash that shit away not even that but like the sea salt carried in by the wind yeah Yep, yep. Erosion, it's not our friend. And who is going to bother once the Victorian age is over? If anyone out there knows of a surviving 60-room-plus shingle style from the 1880s, not including hotels or other commercial buildings... I would be delighted to know about it. Yes. Uh, So the style eventually filtered down to the middle class and many of the more modest structures they built are still standing. The shingle style is considered to be a completely original American style with no direct European antecedents. And then the last one we're going to talk about today is the colonial revival. And this lasted between 1890 to 1900. And this one is described by Christina as... Hashtag money pit. What up, Tom Hanks? Dude, that movie's <laughs> hilarious. You remember that scene where he's standing at the top of the stairs and it's just like the whole fucking thing just collapses? <laughs> that part always makes me laugh so hard. Because you just don't expect it. Like the first time I saw it, I was just like not expecting that. I was like, oh my God. Whole house though. Yeah. Whole house. Yeah. So funny. Um, Whatever the case, colonial revivalism was certainly a reaction against the extremely elaborate houses which had come to symbolize the high Victorian period. Colonial revival houses looked back to the Federalist period for inspiration and are characterized by simpler, more symmetric lines and much less gingerbread than most other 19th century houses. The style had much in common with the shingle style, which began to appear at roughly the same time. Colonial revivalism eventually evolved into the four square and bungalow 
bungalow designs of the early 20th century. The interiors of colonial revival houses, especially those built before the turn of the century, are often very traditionally late Victorian, however. Um, I don't remember what the outside of the money pit house looked like, though. Do you? Uh, I feel like it's very symmetrical. I'm picturing, like... Home Alone house. Okay, let's see. Look at look her up. Yeah, we'll look that up. Okay, yeah. This reminds me more of the um. Do you remember that house in American Beauty? Mm-mm. Did you ever see that movie? Mm-mm. Kind of has the same kind of vibe as the American Beauty house. That is a crazy big house. Holy That's shit! Huge. You know what that also kind of reminds me of? That reminds me of not as not as big. But the Ropes Mansion in Salem, Massachusetts, the one uh-huh. that in Hocus Pocus that Allison lives in. Yes, yes. A little bit. I agree. A little bit. Not as big, it, but yeah. It was for sale for $5.9 million in 2018. Ooh. That's crazy. Wow. wow. I hope the inside isn't like it was in the movie for whoever bought that house. <laughs> it, does, it looks immaculate. <laughs> I know. It looks stunning. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if Barbara Streisand called them. Like, hey, are you selling that house? Right. Anyway. Um. We're going to talk a little bit about like some famous examples so so you can kind of get an idea of the different um, types, different styles that they were in. But I really quick, I mentioned before about the Southern styles. There's a PDF that I found that I'll link and it's through, I think like NOLA, yeah, NOLA.gov. And it covers New Orleans's rich history of architecture spanning 300 years. Wow. The city has over 20 national registered historic districts, 19 local historic districts, and numerous landmark buildings. And nearly half the buildings were built before World War II and showcasing a variety of architectural styles and sizes. The diversity is unmatched in the nation and closely tied to the city's image. Visitors and even natives may find it challenging to identify the types or styles of buildings due to the vast number of buildings and imaginative design ideas so i want to link this i like i can't wait to read through this i wasn't going to put the whole thing in there just because we're not really talking about like southern styles but um some of the styles that they do cover are creole greek revival italianate <laughs> queen anne uh, slash eastlake colonial revival neoclassism edwardian uh, arts and crafts, eclectic, exotic, and art deco. So we'll we'll link that. But I can't wait to look through that because I lo- that southern style so iconic for me. Right? Yeah, very very beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, did you want to talk about the famous examples? Of- yes, I did. I, guess- I just wanted to put that there because I don't know why I separated these next oh. two portions. All right. Yeah. 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 So uh, some some famous examples. We have the gingerbread house. Um, so this Savannah, Georgia landmark was built by Cord Assendorf in 1889. It's considered one of the best examples of steamboat Gothic architecture. Wedding Cake House. This square brick home in Kennebuck, Maine, was originally built in 1826. Like many homes in the Victorian era, it was covered in wooden Gothic decoration in 1850 to keep up with architecture trends. Then we have the Painted Ladies in San Francisco. The term Painted Ladies refers to Victorian houses painted in three or more colors to embellish their architectural detail. It was first used to describe the colorful homes in San Francisco in the 1978 book Painted Ladies, San Francisco's resplendent victorians and if you guys know the painted ladies those are the group of the um homes in full house do you know those houses in the beginning of full house yeah yeah yeah, yeah. on that yeah. big hill yep 
Yep, the Rawson House. This was built in 1895, and this Phoenix home is a great example of the Queen Anne style and is now a museum. Its detail trim is often referred to as Eastlake detailing after furniture designer Charles Eastlake's elaborate creations. The characteristics of these houses include the lathe-shaped wooden forms and mechanical jigsaw wooden forms. Porch posts and railings had intricate wooden designs, and curved brackets and scrolls were placed at corners. The facade also included perforated gables and pediments, carved panels, and a profusion of beaded spindles and latticework found along porch eaves. Mansardic porches were another characteristic and had wrought iron crestings. The color combination of the houses also emphasized the contrast between the lighter colors of the details and the darker colors of the house body. That we- paragraph, pause. <laughs> were you just like oh. everything I've ever wanted in it? Oh my God, that was great. Those, how many, how, oh, it was good. I'm giving you the Italian hands. <laughs> uh, okay. So the Winchester Mystery House was built between 1884 and 1906. And this is at 525 South Winchester Boulevard in San Jose, California, area code or zip code 95128. This is 24,000 square feet, 10,000 windows. Holy shit. 2,000 doors, 160 rooms, 52 skylights, 47 stairways and fireplaces, 17 chimneys, 13 bathrooms, 6 kitchens at a, a price tag of $5 million. And that was in 1923, which would be 71 million today. Holy have you been here? No. Please go here if you ever go out south. It, it, it sounds amazing. It's so beautiful. And like the like the weird, creepy shit attached to Sarah Winchester is like okay. amazing. This house is gorgeous. Gonna... And this is like one of those houses with like the stairs to that that lead to nowhere and like one way in but six ways out kind like of thing. Passageway. Like yeah. Blue type shit. I love it. Um, have you ever built been to the Biltmore estate in North Carolina? No, because you have to pay. Like, it's so cool. I I do want to go. It's it's in my it's in my hood. I do want to go. If I when I next time I go visit my cousins because they're about an hour away from Asheville, I will okay you there. Okay, it's a date. It's so cool. It's so friggin' it's badass. There was a book series written about that, but it was about a girl and she lived in the Biltmore and I think she encountered like ghosts or something like that. I don't remember. It was a while ago I read it, but Serafina. Serafina. That sounds like your Tetafina or your Titafina. Biltmore. Yeah, it's called Serafina and the Black Cloak. There's, I think it's a mini series. I think I only read the first one though. My boss and I were talking about that house recently. Like that, not recently, December, because we were trying to decorate the inn for mm. hol- or Christmas. And he was like, can you imagine having to decorate the Biltmore for holidays? Like they like have to start in November. You, you got to get up on like a friggin' de- a crane to take you up to the top of the walls. Just I will I will meet you there. I do want to go right. see it because I guess there's a really beautiful outdoor like restaurant like, there you can eat at. There's a beautiful garden there. And I know they have a winery on site, like not like around the actual mansion. I think you have to drive a little bit further out. Like, it's, I don't know, maybe like a five, 10 minute drive. They have like a sunflower field there, um, oh a winery. God. I want to go. Beautiful. I want to go. It's just gorgeous. It's like a whole day just to walk around the entire mansion. Like a guy. That's fine. Yeah, very, that's okay. Very cool. It was neat. Not Victorian at all. It's Mm-mm. it's like a gothic. It's more of like a gothic mansion. Um, well, I think it was being built kind of around the same time. I read 
a book called Devil in the White City, and it's all about that Chicago World's Fair. And it's all about like the architects who were involved in the landscaping and the show and everything, building everything. And I think one of the architects had to like back out or was unavailable because he was working on the Biltmore. Okay. I was like, oh my God, it's all connected. The Biltmore yeah. State was built by the Vanderbilt family. It was built in on December 24th. It opened 1895. Cool. Construction began began in 1889. Does that fall into the Victorian time period? Yes, it does. 1860. If any of those examples you're not really sure about, we have some pop culture examples also that we're going to tell you about where Victorian architecture plays uh, a pardon um because some of those i i didn't really know like i don't know the gingerbread house in savannah i don't know the wedding cake house or the rawson house mm-hmm. so but i do love me some movies and we mentioned the movie psycho with norman bates a while ago so the original psycho set justina was saying is still standing though the house has been moved twice since the original build Director Alfred Hitchcock allegedly modeled the Bates house after the Edward Hopper painting, The House by the Railroad, and it's a portrait of a Victorian home in Haverstraw, New York. So this painting, I love this painting. So The House by the Railroad by Edward Hopper. You have it? I recreated it. Oh, shit. (laughs) You made it look like like a, it looks like a Salvador Dali. Like it looks very like, like surreal and dreamy. That's oh, so thank you. Very cool. um, so Edward Hopper painted House by the Railroad in 1925. And in this picture, the tra- there's train tracks in it. And the tracks are vis- a visual barrier that seem to block access to the house, which is isolated on an empty landscape. The juxtaposition of the house and the railroad tracks may be read as a confrontation between the fixity of tradition and the possibility of mobility in the early 20th century America. Hopper produced closely observed urban plans, landscape largely of New England, and the interior scenes all sparsely populated with figures or devoid of them entirely. Although he insisted that his paintings were straightforward representations of the real world, they are often filled with an unmistakable sense of loneliness, estrangement, stillness, and mystery. Light, whether natural or artificial, plays a central role in conjuring the mood. And you can see this at our Patreon. No, <laughs> MoMA.org. Yeah, post your recreation. It's so cool. Yeah, I didn't date it, but I feel like I did it in like high school. I don't know. I just loved it. Oh, 2007. Yeah, the year I graduated. Nice. Yeah. That kind of style where it was saying how all of his paint- paintings are sparsely populated with figures or devoid of them entirely that kind of reminds me of have you ever heard of like liminal spaces like that's a thing yeah yeah so creepy there's a whole youtube video i follow a channel i think it's called nexpo and he does a lot of creepy content and he did a whole video on liminal spaces and why they're so creepy oh i want to see that yeah but they're basically liminal space refers to the place a person is in during a transitional period so it's like a gap it could be physical, it could be like a doorway, or it could be an emotional thing or a metamorphical, yeah. a meta- metaphorical thing, like a decision that you have to make. Like it could be a mental liminal space, but just seeing like a visual liminal space, like for example, if you're in an empty uh, oh, like right. at night or like yeah. a hallway or like an empty locker room in the gym at night, like 
also a sense of super creepiness, like that sense of loneliness is just so foreboding. It's such a creepy, creepy thing. Uh, Could maybe you link guy... that in our yeah, show yeah. notes? I would maybe love to watch that. Maybe this guy was the, uh, the inventor of the concept of the liminal space because that just reminded me of it. That painting is just very eerie. Edward Hopper, OG liminal. OG, OG liminal. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Anyway. I love, yeah. So if you see that real house by the railroad and then take a look at the psycho house, like they're very, very similar. But yeah. 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 Next, we're going to talk about the Adams family mansion. Da, 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 da. Right. So Charles Adams, 411 Elm Street, Westfield. Do you know where that I, is? New Jersey. I work in Westfield. Okay. This house. I had to do some digging because they don't they don't list that address anywhere. It's probably private. Leave them okay. alone. But if you want to drive by, go drive by. So Westfield 07090 um, was the inspiration for the newspaper comic. It was a comic before it was a TV show. Okay. And in the original series, the house was given the address 0001 Cemetery Lane. But in the 2019 adaptation, the mansion is a former mental asylum located on a hill on the outskirts of New Jersey. Oh, geez. Uh-huh. And so, but in the Adams family, like the new Adams family, the address was changed to 1313 Cemetery Lane, mm. perhaps in the reference to 1313 Mockingbird Lane, which was the home of the Munsters. And that's who okay. we're going to talk about next. Did you find the house? Yeah, I did. Hold on, let me... Because I remember seeing it in a video and they were like it's between this road and this road but they weren't walking by it and i was like i'm gonna find this house and i found it look how beautiful that house is that's it yep that's so crazy do you that, go by that, there i don't think i've i probably have driven down the street but it doesn't look familiar but even like, the house across the street is absolutely beautiful dude driving through westfield i think i one time when i was driving home from work i was marking you and i'm pretty sure i was driving through westfield and i was like look at all these cool houses if you could you take a little like field trip and see if yeah. you could go by that house if it's not too far. But yeah, that house has that mansard roof. Mm -hmm. It's all white. It's got the exactly. one story uh porch. There's so many um Victorian houses in Westfield and Plainfield. Plainfield's got tons of Victorian houses. Like some of the houses around here. If you if you ever come here, we'll, we could just take a drive around <laughs> my town and just look at all the houses because I would love that. I would love it cute i had no idea this house was in the adams family house was in new jersey uh-huh that was the inspiration charles adams took for his in his newspaper comic okay yeah very cool no yeah. wow see i'm from here and i didn't even know that i learned something new every day i kept that in my back pocket i was like she's I going love to be it. so jazz i also made these notes like yeah. six months ago so who i'm knows? gonna go stalk that house now <laughs> yeah yeah, crazy. I know it's Westfield, but all I can think about is West Philadelphia, born and raised. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. so weird because like I like it's so close to home, you know, and to have all these things like just pop these things in pop culture be based on, you know, just like these little towns right in New there. Jersey. It's like yeah. not even like it's like New York or LA, like it's a little town in New Jersey. It's, it's Jersey. So, it's weird to me because it's my home. So that's cool. I love that. We find that connection. Yeah. I want to go on a house tour. Yeah. All right. So they mentioned, they just mentioned that the Adams family home had taken inspiration or at least the address that they used took inspiration from the Munsters house and the Munsters was a, sh a TV show back in the day. And the Munsters house, which is my theme that like my ringtone theme music, dun, killer dun, like dun, surf rock. Dun. Yeah. I love the yeah. fallout boy, uh little riff on that song. 
Yes. Uma Thurman. So good. Yes. Oh, adding it to the, uh, we haven't added a song to the MSR playlist in a while. We haven't. There you go. There it is. Adding it. So this house built in the second empire, Victorian architecture style, which was 1860 to 1870 was constructed on stage 12 in 1946 for filming of the turn of the century period, romantic film. I did not know this. So it was first for this film. So goes my love. And then I guess he's for the monsters placed alongside another Victorian style house built specifically for the production. The two and a half story set was utilized on the soundstage for all shots of the film. So the address of the house was at one point supposed to be 43 Mockingbird Lane, Camelot, New Jersey. <laughs> is that a real place? Could you look that up? Um, I'm sure it is, but I've never heard of Camelot. That might be okay. all the way down the shore or because down okay. the shore has a lot of really pretty victorian homes too um let me see Camel- it's just interesting that adam's family and monsters were both supposed to be jersey i just think that's at really camelot, funny camelot at Mar- marlborough so that's like that's south jersey yeah tom's river that's on the shore so okay. nailed it so it was supposed to be that 43 mockingbird lane but it was changed to 1313 mockingbird lane in the city of mockingbird heights city or excuse me state unknown as shooting began the house received its most famous makeover in 1964 when it was redressed for the premiere of the sitcom the monsters the third story octagon tower with its mansard roof and four windows was altered into a covered widow's walk with a tented roof the second story center window was given a faux gingerbread gable and a chimney and a crooked vampire bat weather vane were added love it it's so cool the grounds were equipped with bare trees dead leaves and a stone entrance gate after a slight roughing up with new darker paint the house and its grounds were used for all the exterior shots on the series the interiors filmed on a separate soundstage and the set's most recent appearance was as 4351 wisteria lane in the abc series Desperate Housewives. Is that Gabby's house? Well, I not don't Gabby. know. I've never watched that show. Next, we have the house from Top Gun. I gotta tell you something. I've never seen this movie. Me either. I think okay, good. I think it's a dude movie. I think that's why I've never seen it. Like, I feel it's like such a dude movie. Yeah, I have no reason to want to see that movie. But you know what? I lived in this town where this house is in California. Really? Okay. I drove by it all the time. They had it like... Yeah, in San Diego, they had it like partitioned off. Like you could see it from the road, but it was kind yeah. of, they didn't do anything with it. But I think they just revamped it for this new, that new movie that came oh, out. Yeah. Um, but it was built in 1887 by a man named Dr. Henry Graves. And according to an article on Zillow.com, it's one of the oldest beach cottages in San Diego County. I think it's like Vista, a Vista address, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. The home was declared a historic property in 2005 in the city, Oceanside, there we go, approved of a $209 million luxury hotel project set to break ground at the time this this was being written that will incorporate the recently restored bungalow perhaps as a gift store or yeah. coffee shop, according to UT San Diego. Well, I'm glad they're not going to tear it down. You know? It is so small. It's like the size of like a garage. It's no. so tiny. But yeah, yeah the, at the time, I think it was condemned. Like they didn't want anybody going in it. Nobody was buying it, but it is literally like the house, the road, the beach. So prime spot. You know what that kind of reminds me of? Have you ever heard of a spite house? No. You've never heard of a spite house? No. What is it? Oh my. Okay. So a spite house. Oh wait, is it like a house you built in front of somebody else so they don't have the view anymore? Kind of. Okay. What is it? I think that's what it probably turned into over time, but a spite house back in, I guess, I guess the 1800s when, you know, 
say somebody has a house built. Now say everything or on farmland or something. Now say time goes on and the government or the town ends up buying the land. Oh. So now they can develop around that house and that person can is either forced to, you know, sell their house to the town and so mm-hmm. the town can, you know, build up around like mm-hmm. tear the house down, build up and they move out or in the case of some people they're like I'm not fucking leaving. This like is my an up. This is my house. I pay for this shit. So they stay where they are and the the town just kind of like goes on you know around them around them and they end up just being like this little squished house in between these Mm -hmm. big mansions because they're just stubborn and they don't want to they don't want to move thought i'd share that because i thought i I didn't know that's what they were called really neat thank you yeah spite house spite house spite house house. okay (laughs) the next one is from the odd life of timothy green i've never seen this movie have you Yeah, yeah me either Okay. The picture-perfect Victorian home featured in the 2012 movie of The Odd Life of Timothy Green was placed on the market for $1.39 million in July of 2012, according to Zillow. The property located in Noonan, Georgia, includes a 5,500-square-foot house, a three-bedroom guest house, a pool, a pond, and a gazebo. Built in 1842, the details of the restored home are to die for, including gingerbread trim and stained glass windows. Have you seen this house? No. All right. Here, look at this. This is going to blow your mind. I'm ready. Blow me, baby. (gasps) Oh, no. Yes. Isn't that amazing? Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot of detail. That's so extra. That is so extra. That's so extra. Like somebody's in there playing their harpsichord or some shit. Like, I want to watch this movie now. The harpsichord? (laughs) Did I say harpsichord? Harpsichord. No, I'm (laughs) laughing at the image. That's so fun. Like so I just picture like some some dude in there and his like wig and his like tights and his little loafers and he's like <laughs> yeah like just like playing his shit in there wow in like the parlor very so, beautiful yeah, that's beautiful next we have the Goonies house and this oh. was I think it came out in 1985 but the house that they used was built in 1896 in an area populated by the lower working class the Goonies house was inhabited by a local carpenter until 1904 he left the home in the hands of his roommates who lived in the house until 1925 and then it was sold to a family who occupied it until 1971 it was then sold again in 1975 and finally renovated to become the iconic Goonies house in 1984. It was bought out of foreclosure in the early 2000s and rescued from serious disrepair by the homeowner. The house remains a private residence to this day, and it's a popular attraction. Although neighbors are understanding about the home's Hollywood heritage, they would prefer that visitors respect their privacy and leave their cars at the bottom of the gravel driveway that leads up to the house. That's why I didn't include the address, because yeah, they just, yeah. you know, well, be respectful. Um... You you could you could find it because you know who went to visit this this house and did a whole did you go- YouTube, YouTube video on it the Grim Life Collection oh cool the Grim Life link Collective. that link it link it yeah they visited the Goonies house and they visited the beach and they lined up the exact shots of like where the Goonies are at the end of the movie and they're looking at the ship passing by the rocks they line up cool. all the same shots from the movie it's amazing um it. and then another thing that the another place the grim life visited that i want to mention is i don't know if you ever saw pippi longstockings yes the eight the 1980s film yeah that house the villa villa Coola is also a victorian style house cool. and the grim life collective 
it's on it's i forget what town it is it's in florida it's on like a little island in florida it's still standing it was not a movie set it was a real house that they use the exterior shots for the film and they uh i guess the newer owners whoever has the has the house now re um they restored the the house and it's beautiful it's still standing today i will link this also down below because i just i love the grim life they just think they (laughs) take us around like all these film places we never we don't think that some of them are even real. They we just think they're sets or whatever. Right. But I would cool. love to watch that with you. Yeah. Very cute. Okay. And then lastly, I have for you the Vecna house from Stranger Things 4, season four. Yeah. So this is actually located at 906 East 2nd Avenue, Rome, Georgia. The real life house used as the Creel home in the show is a 140 year old mansion located in Rome, Georgia. The house is officially for sale for 1.5 million, according to the listing. The residence was constructed in 1882 by Colonel Hamilton Yancey. According to the listing, many of the home's original details, like the handcrafted bookshelves and the antique wall safe, are still in place. It also features a cast iron urinal. Oh, that is so Victorian. <laughs> like, what? Could you so this... imagine peeing in that? No. Part of me when I was younger always wished I had the ability, though. To pee in a in a cast iron urinal? In any kind of urinal. <laughs> I was like, it seems so convenient. That is that's weird. Okay, we're going to move on. We'll just move on. <laughs> awkward situation. This 6,000 square foot home has seven bedrooms and seven bathrooms, according to the listing. And there's also a guest house behind the main house. So there you go. Rome, Georgia. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Georgia's got a lot of really cool houses. Um, so we're gonna talk about some of the famous witch houses in pop culture that we kind of mentioned a little earlier. So, of course, first we have our beloved practical magic house, and this is at uh well, the 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 shell of the house anyway, right? There because the actual house does not exist. Was at 15 San Juan Park Road in Friday Harbor, Washington, 98250. And this was designed by Robin Standifer and Stephen Alish of Roman and Williams. Then we have the Sabrina and the Teenage Witch. From the 90s, the 90s sitcom was at 64 East Main Street in Freehold, New Jersey. Uh, What? Dude, my brain is exploding right now. How did I not know any of this stuff in New Jersey existed? I'm going to have to go on a self-guided tour. Totally. Wow. Okay. So Freehold, New Jersey, my cousins, my cousins, the ones that love Stevie Nicks that I was talking about in that episode, they live in Freehold. Oh my God. Yeah. Very, very beautiful town, by the way. Uh, it spans, you gotta go to this house. Yeah. It spans two buildings totaling about 7,000 square feet. It's currently being used for office space. The three-story front house, which you can rent for $9,750 per month. Features a full kitchen and several oversized workspaces, while the smaller rear structure available for $3,200 a month contains a kitchen, five offices, and two bathrooms. Well, it seems like it's, like, used commercially, so Mm -hmm. I guess that Mm kind of makes sense. But New Jersey is fucking expensive. They have placed the property for sale for $1.95 million. Next, we have The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which is the newer Netflix um series so this was built on i love that house too by the way this I was built too. on a private property in north langley british columbia inspired by salem's house with the seven gables yeah it does have that type of vibe um and this is at uh the house of seven gables in salem that's at 115 derby street and the house of seven gables is a museum so you can go there 
on any kind of guided tours. Um, I think all throughout the year. I don't think they're just open in October. I think it's open all year round. And uh, the living room has six doors, which Christina says reminds her of the Winchester mystery house seance room. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to tell me more about this Winchester house because this sounds fascinating. Um, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina house, I guess it was just a, a set because it's been demolished it was just built it was a shell i guess just built for the show so i guess they're not filming the show anymore i don't think so if they tore it down Mm -hmm. all right and then we have the witches of east end which is at 323 queens avenue new westminster british columbia it's a historic home known as the james and elizabeth phillips residence and this is the same house that was used in the charm show they made a reboot Mm mm-hmm so wait, are they was it used on the on the original charm or just the reboot? I think just the reboot. Okay. All right. And it was built in 1892. It's a one and a half story wood frame Queen Anne revival style house with multi-pitch roof lines, wraparound veranda, a wraparound veranda, tall corbelled brick chimney, and stained glass windows. Beautiful. And then the uh yeah, then the charmed house, the original charmed is at 1329 Carroll Avenue in Los Angeles, California. I think the Grim Life might have also visited that one, too. And then Hocus Pocus, the Hocus Pocus house, which is at 4 Ocean Avenue, Salem, Massachusetts. I've been there. It looks more like a little Cape Cod um, than a Victorian house, but I guess it was built around the same time. It is a private residence. Um, Owners are okay with visitors taking photos, but they have a sign on the fence that expresses strictly, do not move our garbage cans. <laughs> <laughs> Photoshop them out. I guess people move them to take pictures and wow. to get that aesthetically pleasing shot without the garbage in the background, but they, they're like, don't touch my shit. Take a wow. picture and get the fuck off the property. In October, they actually block off that street. Like, we got an Uber from the center of town to that street to take our, you know, picture in front of it. And the Uber driver was like i can't take you all the way down but um because they block it off for halloween yeah wow it's not that far of a walk from the little intersection all the way down to the the it's it's on the water it's like right on the the waterfront it's really pretty are we ready to take a little break do you did you have anything more you wanted to add about it i'm trying to think if there's any other the house from Coraline is a victorian house that's how if I if I ever had a, a Victorian house, I think I would paint it like that one. I just I love that house. So, <laughs> so cute. And that and in the movie, like she goes through those little secret passageways and there's like there's just like mysterious things about this house. I don't know what it is about a Victorian house and just like all the mystery behind its walls. And yeah, I think I have a little bit later on about like why we yeah, think so. Victorian houses are so creepy. There was a show. I don't know if you have this in your notes at all, but I think there was a show like behind these walls or something where they find things in like no these Victorian i don't Victorian houses am i making this up is that a fever dream no it sounds it sounds like it could be a thing it's like you don't it's... know how many people have been there before you all right yeah i think we're ready for a break christine's going cross-eyed no i'm good i'm excited i'm just trying like... to contain my excitement because <laughs> there's lots more for when we come back we are going to talk about just like some staples that you're going to find if you are like is that a victorian house is it not a victorian house i have um, a family friend of mine that i talked with who is an architectural historian in new england that i asked a little bit about um you know a couple of questions for this episode and if you're looking to like create a modern victorian interior how you can do that and like lots more so hang on to your tits we'll be right back Hey, we're the Stinas, and you're listening to Magnolia Street Podcast. 
All right, so we got we want to do a card pull. Do we want to do? Did we do the house card for the house episode? I think we did. Did we? Yeah. Let's see what we got today. I will apologize right now to listeners. I know I verbalize my excitement in a particular way, <laughs> and I'm sorry that every other time, like in the mic, I'm like. <gasps> my favorite meme i don't think we ever posted that one did we ever post the one that was like trial six no we didn't we could post that for this one we have we could post it for this one (laughs) okay all right here let me uh shuffle up i guess shuffle up i guess tell me when to stop okay stop Ooh, auras oh auras that that says firefly oh no but on the bottom it said (laughs) it says auras and observe (laughs) okay it is a firefly yeah cool Um, that's really pretty we haven't had that one i know we haven't had this one and you know initially when i when i first got this deck and i did a whole extensive review on it for youtube Mm -hmm. i was confused about this card because at the time i hadn't read the book since probably the 90s okay so i completely forgot about all the stuff in the book so i was like confused i was like i don't remember any fireflies or anything about auras in the movie so joseph actually commented and he was like it's in the book it's in the book i was like "Uh uh-huh like read the book again i'm like okay oh i went and read the book and i was like i completely get it now got it i love it yeah so auras let's see what let's see what he's had to say about it in in his little guidebook so okay uh the card is firefly and it's the the mantra on the bottom it says auras observe and then also perception is another key word so it says coming out at dusk and lighting up the night in many areas of the world fireflies allow for us to see what we cannot on our own take notice of the energies that surround you witness the auras in those around you and ensure that you act accordingly interesting fact not all fireflies light up but this is how they communicate with one another ancients used them in paper lanterns some believed that the firefly were the souls of the dead ancient warriors helping Mm. to guide us simultaneous uh, bioluminescence is a rare natural phenomenon that happens when all the fireflies within a certain area link up and synchronize flashes so act accordingly and the mantra on this card is i am aware of and see the energies around me and what can i make what what can i make of this card in reference to this episode i think the line where it says um allow fireflies allow for us to see what we cannot on our own take and take notice of the energies around you that's kind of the same like when you walk into a victorian home and we were just talking about this before the break like you don't know who lived in those walls before you stepped in there centuries later what kind of spirits are in there what kind of energies are surrounding you what kind of secret passageways what little rooms are you not seeing right at a you know um your what can your naked eye what what is that not seeing so i'm just thinking of of uh all those little intricacies that that a victorian home kind of has Mm -hmm. i connect that as far as the owens house with the lighthouse being something that is like a warning to sailors who can't see where the cliffside is it's like that which is unseen there's that like beacon like almost like a firefly but like that beacon in the night, like showing where safety is or where danger is. Um, 
But did you know that fireflies, there are some female fireflies that will, they have a specific signal pattern. Okay. Did you watch Where the Crawdads Sing? No. She talks about it in that movie. It's really good. I have to watch. I know. I've I've been hearing so much about it. I need it's, to it's really watch good. it. Yeah. All right. And um, but there are some females who can change their pattern to mimic other ones, and they basically use it as like a trap oh. to ensnare like a mate and then kill them. Oh, that's that's hard. fucking metal. It's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> fucking women. Yeah. manipulators i just thought it was really interesting oh that is really cool i like your i like your meaning a lot better than than my meaning like i didn't even think of that like yeah the lighthouse like that beacon yeah. of light and that flashing light lighting the way for you know all those lost souls yeah um, and that could be like oh that, that made me even think of like not even living people you know, right? just, you know, how you put candles in your window or the jack-o'-lantern at Halloween to help guide the souls. Attract. Yeah. Yep. We're so smart. <laughs> we're so smart. <laughs> so we're going to get a little technical now. We're going to talk a little bit about like structure details. And I only listed a couple because there's so much other shit we got to talk about. Yeah. But in a Victorian home, you got to think there's no AC. There is no AC back then. So that means there would have been screens in a lot of the windows as well as functioning shutters. There was also what they call transom windows, which are a cutout above interior doors. And this would let in light into those interior rooms as well as well as airflow. I love a transom window. Oh my God, they're so freaking cool. Tile or pressed stone would have been around fireplaces at the time because fires were a really big problem. The wood burning fireplaces were a thing of the past. It was all gas and coal. Some signs of, of wealthy families was a mishmash of the woods we were talking about earlier. They would use all different kinds of woods in their home. Um, like we said, they would have like a, a whole mahogany room or a cherry room or an oak room, as well as um, we talked about picture railings. You and I talked about that in the Owens house episode. Mm -hmm. they wouldn't put holes in their walls instead they would have a piece of molding like three quarters of the way up their wall that they could not even they didn't even have to nail it in there was a special bracket that sat and the weight of the picture would would you Mm -hmm. know pull down and and hold it in place have you ever heard of the term okay so like you know how like modern times right where modern times everybody's about like minimalism i'm a minimalist i'm throwing stuff out blah 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 (laughs) i didn't even think about like what the opposite of that would be like obviously Mm -hmm. a maximalist but Going through like Victorian, um, I guess like Instagram inspo hashtags or whatever, like people hashtag maximalism and you just see like walls and walls of like Victorian picture frames and like the wallpaper is gaudy as hell. And like on Uh top of that, they have taxidermy and like just random tchotchkes. I had no idea that like there was a term for that. And it's like maximalism. The complete Victorians were maximalists. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. They were like, we want to show you our money. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, such such snooty bitches. So speaking of those, some of those interior things, mm-hmm. um, this is from ArchitecturalDigest.com. The the defining elements and characteristics in a Victorian home would have been their wallpaper, would have been the chandeliers, ornamentation, tapestries, upholstery, damask, which Alice Hoffman uses in her book. And I'm like, what the fuck is damask? And I always picture like really heavy draperies. So I fucking just looked it up. Damask fabric is named for Damascus, which is where the textile product originated. Known for its intricate and reversible patterns, damask fabric is prized for its uh, ornateness. These days, however, it's easy to make incredible, complex damask patterns with modern textile machines, 
Traditionally, damask fabric was made from silk, cotton, or wool, but synthetic damask weaves are now available also. Um, do you remember in the craft in the beginning when they're when they get to that new house and like they walk in and it's like raining and he's like, gotta get these roofs fixed, honey. And she's like, damask curtains would look really nice. I, was like, <laughs> I, I was remember like, that. What are damask curtains at like yeah. 13? I'm like, what are those? <laughs> Her parents are such a like fucking fuck off character right yeah they have no i mean i guess at the end they do use them like oh there was a plane crash and your parents died you know but like <laughs> useless yeah and then that guy with the snake shows up in the house and the dad oh, chases yeah. him out with like a fire poker so weird and then he shows up again later with the snake it's like do you just carry around this snake like right dude i don't know what episode it was probably the 90s thing and you do his impression like come back to jesus come <laughs> back now come back to jesus don't give them money you're gonna get nailed i know every single line <laughs> in that movie oh uh, funny so good anyway all right a couple more so there is also yeah wainscoting rich colors parquet flooring dramatic window treatments and stained glass um, those are some some interior key features there i love me some stained glass we're gonna put did i tell you we're putting wainscoting in our living room did you paint it yet we didn't know we're waiting you have avi the color to, we bought yeah we bought all the paint but avi has to order the chair rail um and then he's got to cut all the wood and stuff. But you know what I don't understand? Okay, so wainscoting, obviously a Victorian architectural feature, right? I was like, okay, so Avi wants to do the wainscoting. He's cool with that. But then I was like, I want to do like the little corner pieces and like all the intricate details, like in in the, uh, I guess, the archways in our- Uh-huh, uh-huh. He's like, no, that's too Victorian. We don't have a Victorian house. I was like, what the fuck do you think wainscoting is, dude? Like, yeah, come on. Yeah. I know he likes, he likes because wainscoting is like manly, you know, it like kind of brings like to mind, like a smoking room or like a study, Yeah. but like he does the little intricate, like corner arch things is like too frilly for me. Too Victorian, too dollhousey. I love it. I'm going to put them up while he's sleeping. Do it. (laughs) Christine's like, I fully support your, um, cornices. 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 Yeah. All right. We kind of talked about this person in one of our other episodes. A family friend of mine was visiting um, and brought the hammered dulcimer down. I've known this man since I was a teeny tiny little tot, but his name is Greg Farmer and he's an architectural historian and a cultural resource consultant based in Massachusetts. His favorite hobby is exploring the innovations of Victorian houses and neighborhoods that we now take for granted. So Mr. Farmer, if you're listening, thank you so much. I appreciate it. But I wanted to ask him... Yeah, if he had any experience with Victorian houses, if he had ever gone in, like, what's, like, weird stuff you've seen? And he's like, do you want to know, like, structure? Do you want to know, like, family dynamics? Do you want to know this? I was like, holy shit, like, we have to talk about this. We got to have you on the show. Tell us all. Tell us it all. Tell us all. Yeah. So he he did send me some things. So I wanted to read what he said. So he says that the Victorian period in the United States was a time of tremendous social and economic upheaval. The changes in transportation and manufacturing, aka steam power, uh, communication such as telegraph and telephone, technology like central heating and indoor plumbing, and medicine, the discovery of bacteria, were nothing short of miraculous. Geographic mobility and social mobility went hand in hand as people moved to cities or to the frontier to try to improve their lives. One key thing that all Victorian house styles have in common is that they freed builders from a box. Timber frame construction, which we mentioned earlier, also had to be rectangular. With balloon frame construction, the builder could uh, change the angles and planes in almost 
unlimited ways. So we didn't even touch on like the balloon construction, which I should have like thrown in with stick style, but I wasn't, I I love you guys. (laughs) Asymmetrical elevations, complex roof lines, and irregular fenestration suddenly became more affordable because the framing was lighter weight and houses could be taller. And like, you got to think like more people, they want to start like communities. They're probably building a lot closer together. So instead of the ranch style, wide, expansive, they're going up. So the introduction of central heating meant that rooms no longer had to be anchored to chimney stacks and the room arrangement could be considerably more flexible. Rooms of varying sizes and shapes were easy to accommodate. Rooms could even be configured to open directly to each other rather than through a common corridor. For this time, it it was easy to envision having, quote unquote, a room of one's own in a private sanctuary. The experience of entering a Victorian house was a formal progression from public to private space. One approached the house from a public way then entered a gate to an enclosed yard or garden, which the Owens house has. Mm -hmm. Steps then led up to a porch, a semi-public place that was visible but not freely accessible. The front door typically opened into a shallow vestibule where a second set of doors led to a main hallway. If invited, the visitor could enter the parlor or one of the other formal rooms in the front of the house. Family members and close friends might be ushered to the less formal family spaces or even the private space upstairs. At the back of the house, the service spaces where contact with servants and with children was carefully controlled, like we talked about. So what makes a, what makes Victorian houses spooky to us? I love that. Here we go. Here we go. All right. Number one, speculation. Do you want to read these? Sure. All, All right. right. Tell us why they're spooky. Strap in here. All right. This is going to be a bumpy ride. So speculation, what you see on the outside gives you very little clue to what's on the inside. Kind of what we talked about before. The plan of the house and the uses of the rooms are not really deduced from the outside appearance. Um, Many Victorian houses had blind windows, closed shutters on the outside of the house that preserved the rhythm of the exterior design and suggested a window or door but with no actual opening behind it. Very mysterious. Very mysterious. Uh, Number two, visual complexity. The panoply of colors, textures, and interior furnishings made it very hard to take in a room at a glance. The sensory overload was an intentional way to show off the owner's fine taste. What do we say that what the the term for fine taste was before? An arbiter of taste. An arbiter of taste. (laughs) It also allowed for many and far-reaching conversations with guests. So basically every single thing on the walls, on the tables, on the shelves, every single thing was a conversation piece, basically. Right. Like, they just wanted you to acknowledge their wealth. Exactly. Hashtag maximalism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Number three, the element of surprise. Because of the irregular floor plan, a visitor could never be sure what was behind any particular door. Was it a closet, a stairway, another room altogether, Tall Victorian houses like the Gothic Italianate, (laughs) Second Empire, and Queen Anne styles were often designed with a natural updraft for ventilation. That could cause doors to creak open and suddenly slam or a window sash to suddenly drop. Oh my god, that makes sense. Wow. Goodness. So even if the place wasn't haunted, it sounded haunted because doors and windows were just slamming (laughs) left and right. So. Ventilate. Hashtag ventilation. Um, Number four, ancillary spaces. Attics and basements tended to be much larger in Victorian houses, partly to accommodate the new heating, plumbing, and electrical systems. These were spaces that most people only rarely had occasion to enter. The basement held mechanical secrets, 
the hidden systems of the house. The attic held memories that were tucked away, but not yet, not yet discarded. Both spaces tended to accumulate more material over time. A Victorian house is a hoarder's dream. There's so many crevices to shove shit, like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like little... I thought he wrote that. I was like, oh my god, Mr. Farmer. <laughs> I've never heard him talk like that. I'm just saying, like, my own, like opinion of a victorian attic like um my grandma again talking about my grandma joan i don't know if you would consider her house victorian like it didn't have like all like the ornate stuff on the outside i guess it was like a more renovated victorian um is it was it a victorian i don't know but she had this walk-up attic and we would always go up there as kids and like the wood up there was like rotting to hell like mm-hmm. it was not this immaculate house it was old it was an old house and there was a lot of old floorboards and wood and i just remember just being so dark and creepy up there mm-hmm. but she would just like have like just old junk old junk <laughs> just thrown up there and then we yeah. would just rummage through it and we would play up there for hours it was just yeah. so fun as we, a kid to explore stuff like that you know oh it's a dream and you yeah. gotta think if if they are utilizing those mansard roof styles and trying to like attain that third floor kind of space that third floor is going to span the house like square footage so it's gonna even have like all like the wings and the corners and all that stuff it's not just gonna be like that your standard square box so that that in itself is like oh what's behind there oh what's behind there and it probably has like the chimney stack that you can see I think even the Owens house you can see the chimney stack Mm. you know in one of the shots where Jillian's meditating I think it's behind her but like totally spooky yeah yeah very spooky I think my aunt my mom's sister has a ghost story from that house or that attic or like that stairwell or something like that get it for our uh, our october episode yeah yeah i'll have to have to table these stories for then but yeah that house was super super creepy so number five deterioration the complex roof lines and multiple changes in plane meant that victorian houses did not always shed water effectively the result was that exterior paint started peeling quickly and balconies, bays, and porches tended to rot. As labor costs increased, houses with lots of decorative trim became harder to maintain. Some were stripped of trim and others were simply abandoned. Yeah. Bad. And then I had asked him, I was so grateful. I was like, dude, this is perfect timing. Mm-hmm. Like, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I said, have you ever seen the house from the series we're mentioning, the Practic Magic House, and do you have any thoughts on it? And he said that the Owens house captures the architectural eclecticism of the late Victorian period very effectively. The details are drawn straight from catalogs and and pattern books of the period and are only slightly exaggerated. The biggest difference, of course, is that the exterior is all white, giving the house a spectral quality. A real house in that period would have been polychromatic, with colors derived from earth tones in the natural landscape. The goal was to make it look as if the house had grown there on its own. As Victorian houses passed out of fashion, they were often painted monochromatically, typically white or gray, in order to downplay all the fussy detail. That's presumably the backstory of the Owens house. And I was like, Mr. Farmer, you're the best. Thank you. That's a really good observation like i didn't even think of like would have would the paint colors had been of that time of that style right you know? and like um, try to imagine the movie with that house like all the colors you know would it makes as a much of a statement too distracting yeah the fact that it's all white and like yeah it does give it a very spectral quality um but i like how like even though the house is like this 
character in and of itself. It's got so much character and quality. It's so beautiful, but it still doesn't overshadow the story and the family and the women. Yeah. It kind of lets them, you know, take take the stage because it's yeah. their story. Um, so it it does a beautiful job of being a, a conversation piece. Like mm -hmm. the Victorians love to show off, love to show off with their frills. So it's a really, it does a really great job of being that conversation piece, but still letting the main characters have their spotlight, if that makes any sense. No, I agree. I yeah. agree. The characters as well as like the garden and all the natural shit growing up around it. Like it, like the greens contrast with that white and like the blue of the ocean in the background, like perfect perfection. Yeah. I don't know when gutters were invented, but I'm wondering if that pl also plays a part in like deterioration, you mm -hmm. know, because I know with those pitched roofs, the water's going somewhere, mm -hmm. but we are there I, as far as I've seen, I mean, I know it's a shell, but the Owens house don't have no gutters. No, no. And it's raining okay. all like all hell that night. They bury Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it does. Maybe I'm not looking close enough, but I've never noticed gutters on it. Well, the, the water just dissipates because it's magic it's a magic house so it's just it just it doesn't need gutters it's fine it's magic magic yeah. take us to this next portion a style of many styles this is from study.com all right so this says the era reflected a blending of many diverse cultural sources and numerous revivals which evolved over a long period of time while gothic revival dominated the early part of the era Romanticism was favored in the middle period and arts and crafts near the end of the era. Several designers created frameworks for the organization of important elements that gave the style balance, cohesion, and longevity. Victorian home decor is an ornamental and lavish style that represented high status during the Victorian era. Rooms could contain a mix of his historical styles like pulling decorative ironwork from Gothic Revival architecture or fleur-de-lis drawn from medieval influences for decoration. This eclectic nature of the design combated the idea that when it came to Victorian decorating, an undecorated or bare room was an indication of lack of taste. <laughs> Arbiter <laughs> of taste. It's not an arbiter of taste, you peasant. <laughs> Philistine. <laughs> Therefore, these highly decorated uh, Victorian rooms contained opulent furnishings, tapestries, patterned wallpaper, rich colors, flowers, and sentimental pictures and drawings. Victorian interior design, along with the Victorian era, owes its name to Queen Victoria, who was on the United Kingdom's throne when this style rose to prominence. Here are other key points in the timeline of this design style. So prosperity in the Victorian era. The Victorian era aligns with the reign of the UK's Queen Victoria and refers to the period between roughly the 1830s and the early 1900s. The Victorian era came on the heels of the Industrial Revolution from 1760 around 1840 or to around 1840 and throughout the 19th century and 20th century technology advancements continued to make it possible for many household items including decorations to become cheaply mass-produced. Opulence among the middle class, with furniture, art, fabric, and decorative arts suddenly accessible to common people, for the first time, many middle-class homeowners were able to invest in the decor and design of their residences. People stuffed living spaces with beautiful objects, wall art, shelves of trinkets, and furniture, contributing to a, quote, busy look that became characteristic of Victorian design, particularly in contrast to modern minimalistic styles, which we talked about this you earlier. Hashtag maximalism. Yeah. So emergence of individual style. 
more than a simple show of wealth, Victorian era style was a way people could showcase their personal tastes and incorporate trends from Asia, Northern Africa, and other continents. Victorian interior design gained popularity because it presented the opportunity to showcase one's uniqueness and allowed for distinctive design choices. Kaleidoscope of Colors and Patterns The era was de defined by rich colors that came from new painting and dyeing techniques. Previously, colors were created from vegetable-based dyes resulting in muted, earthy hues. With the invention of aniline dyes, the Victorian era featured bold colors that people were eager to use in beautiful plaids, stripes, damask, and florals in the form of wallpapers, curtains, and upholstery. Uh, one of the popular architectural styles that came from this era was the Queen Anne style, a revived form of architecture from the time of England's Queen Anne, who ruled from 1702 to 714. The style was distinctive in North America for its decorative details, corner towers, expansive porches, and patterned walls. The style evolved from early English designs into a variety of forms and regional variations. It never, you never said which style you liked the best. Oh. Um, which style do you like? Which one was the Queen Anne? Which one did we say that was? The Practical Magic House. I guess that, yeah, I guess that was. <laughs> um, I don't know what, okay. what style the Coraline House is, but I love that house. Okay, I don't know. You know what? You know, I, I would have to see like all of them side by side yeah to make an informed decision because like yeah. right now i'm like reading a lot about all, all about all of this it's kind of hard to get a mental picture of what all of these look like you know you're right yes yeah. i mean if you're not if you're not a um victorian architecture connoisseur like you you no, probably no, know, no 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 that's you know why i put hashtag your head okay no no, uh, no i'm also partial to the villa villa Coola. i don't know because i just <laughs> it'd be long stocking <laughs> um yeah. in the movie it looks like such a dump it really mm -hmm. looks like such a dump but in real life it's so gorgeous so six elements of victorian interior design we're going to talk about like the rich colors dark colors and the abundance of opulent design choices that highlighted the most important elements of victorian interior design so number one is color and detail these were important elements of the early Victorian interiors. Early in this period, technology and location placed limitations on the color palette. The early palette was determined on the pigments that were locally available. Muted, earthy pigment pigments found in plants were mixed on site by painters. Rooms were also a consideration since airborne soot, because homes were heated by coal, darker colors hid the effects of the smoke and ash, was problematic during this time. While utilitarian spaces may have been painted in lighter tones, pub like, so if you do watch Downton Abbey, their kitchen space is downstairs and the kitchen space also has the, the transom windows, but it's all white because it's like underground. They're trying to fill it with as much bouncing light as possible. Got it. Public rooms such as parlors were better served with darker shades. The early revivalists preferred painted and varnished woodwork, which was usually darker to conceal the dirt. So number two is furniture. Uh, a single furniture style didn't dominate the era, but furniture was defined by an excess of ornamentation. Victorian furniture was generally decoratively carved and overstuffed with pieces like button-back armchairs, chaise lounges, and ottomans. I love a button-back chair. I do too. I love a button-back chair. I have I have a button-back chair, but it's not an armchair. It's just like a regular, like, like a table chair. Yeah. Uh, when I was working with a producer, like, back in, like, 
I don't know, 2001 or whatever. Um, His wife worked at this like high-end restaurant. She was like a, a chef at one of these restaurants. And the chairs, like they just like had a stack of these chairs in their apartment. I don't oh, know. Wow. Like, yeah, I don't know if she owned the restaurant. I don't remember. But they had like a stack of these chairs because like they had extra ones. So he's like, yeah, go ahead, take a chair if you want one. <laughs> I, I came home with like a purple corduroy button back. Cool. It's gorgeous. I freaking love this chair. It's at my parents' house. My mom uses it now to sit at her little desk and do her puzzle. It's so com- it's a comfortable chair. Um apparently these were like really expensive, like high-end chairs. It's like take a penny, leave a penny. Yeah, they were like probably a few hundred dollars for one chair. Take and they a just chair. they just gave me one for free. And I still have it. Does it have a maker's like stamp on the bottom? It might. I'll check. You gotta I look that shit up. That might be worth some money. It might be. I haven't. I don't think I've ever looked at the bottom of the chair. But sorry, I'll, mom. I'll take. <laughs> gotta pay off my DVD <laughs> I'm purchase. I'm not selling that. Oh, so number three is lighting. Essential to the design style are lighting fixtures and candles. Go, girl, we're gonna talk about this thing later called a gasolier. Watch out. Okay, what it's exactly what it sounds like. Is that? Oh my god. <laughs> So light fixtures and candles, especially in areas such as dining rooms, living rooms, sitting rooms, and entryways. Tiffany lamps with lampshades made of glass were a very popular style for the era for not only table or standing lamps, but also for wall sconces and chandeliers. Number four is home decor. Accessories and decorations are prominently displayed and cover every surface in the Victorian interior design. Examples include a gallery wall of framed pictures, displayed china, souvenirs, vases, lace doilies, the latter of which could be used on the backs of furniture or or on tables or on mantles. Additionally, embroidered cushions, decorated couches, and potted plants like palms and ferns were very popular. Stained glass was also a common way to add color to your room. I think I was Victorian in a past life. Yeah, I think you were too. <laughs> Dude, I am such a maximalist and I think Avi hates it. Like if I could have the decor of our house my way, it would just be filled with bullshit. Like pointless. <laughs> I love it. It would be hard to do every room. It would mm-hmm. You would need like a room that is kind of calm, you know? <laughs> but this is my calm. What do you mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sag, get out of here. All right, number five is window and wall coverings. Window features heavy fabric drapes and opulent window treatments, such as curtains lined with silk or wool. Walls were typically covered with the rich, dark painted colors of the era or covered by tapestries or wallpaper with bold floor. Real quick, do you remember the secret garden from the 90s? Yeah. Okay, that room is lined with fucking tapestries. I'm like, that must be the quietest room in the world. Soundproof. Walls were sometimes painted to look like marble or wood grain finishes. Number six, flooring. Wood, specifically parquet patterns, is one of the most common flooring of the era. Other common flooring types are matting, floor cloth similar to linoleum, carpeting, including broad, loom, Venetian, and reversible. And toward the second half of the era, tiled floors with a repeating geometric design in the middle and there's also something called a like wood floor carpet where they would take the parquet flooring and like in the center of the room make a design in the floor that looked like a carpet which i think is really cool do you want some tips for creating a modern victorian interior i do i do i'm gonna give them to you right now all right whether you want to add victorian style to your modern home or want to update a victorian era house these design tips will help you turn your place into a modern victorian home number one start with research if you're looking for design inspiration 
browse the web to find room examples. These can give you a sense of what colors, furniture, and decor appeal to you before you start your home interior makeover. Design ideas can be drawn from other modern Victorian homes or from pictures of classic Victorian living rooms or master bedrooms. When it comes to interior decorating for modern Victorian style, you have a lot of freedom, so it's best to plan ahead to remain focused. Pinterest is an awesome little kind of mood board thing. You can uh, make, a, make a whole board of just Victorian design. Number two, variety is key. Mix different periods and stylings carefully. Opt for tasteful embellishments whenever possible, adding embroidery or lace to pieces to add something special, but ensure all choices are well thought out. Allow yourself to lean into the eclectic nature of the Victorian style. I think that's why I think, like, I must have been Victorian, because, like, I'm so eclectic. Like, I love mixing things. I love mixing patterns and prints and different florals and... <laughs> Yeah, I love all of that shit. Yeah, mixing and matching to find what appeals to you and slowly adding Victorian style pieces to rooms to see what works well. Decorating tips can help, but in the end, you will have to find your own home's balance between the stark interiors of minimalist modern living and the busy interior of Victorian homes. Number three, embrace color and decorative woodwork. Color is everywhere in Victorian style, so forgo white walls in favor of richer colors. If you live in a home with small rooms, consider giving each room its own color scheme. If you have a modern home with a more open floor plan, a strong accent wall could give the room the boost it needs. Also, look to add carved wood pieces to your rooms, including mirror frames and picture frames as well as lamps. Number four, upcycle and spend. The repurposing of old windows, mantles, trims, doors, and decor will lend a Victorian feel to your modern home. That said, investing in high-quality furniture is key to achieving the feel of an era that was defined by showcasing one's status and wealth. Number five, use modern but not too modern lighting. Since not all modern lighting will work, try looking for lighting fixtures made in the early or mid-1900s. Some options could be pieces that feel inspired by mid-century or Scandinavian modern influences or French fixtures from around the 1930s to the 1960s. Hmm. Um, I must say, I'm a sucker for a good chandelier. Oh, so, wow. You even have like the, the medallion up there. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, see what I mean? I'm so fucking extra in this little box of a room. Like I gotta, have, I gotta have this thing up here. I also I also have a chandelier in my walk-in closet, but my walk-in closet's small. It's small. It doesn't need a chandelier. Oh but guess who God. wants one there? Me. So it's it's not the same chandelier. It's more wrought iron, but still has the crystal hangings because I love me some some bling. You must um, sparkle, baby. I tell you, I'm a, I am a maximalist to the highest <laughs> degree. That's awesome. That's my husband just rolls his eyes at me. <laughs> um, so number six, go above and beyond. If you're really looking to put in some work, remodel to add architectural details such as built-in bookcases, crown molding. What are what's this? A dado rail? I've never heard of that. Have you heard of a oh, I'm gonna look that up. A dado or dado? D A D i I've heard of a dado, like a dado blade cuts oh, a specific type of maybe design. All right. Dado rails, which are another type of molding. There's your word, Christina. Cornices. <gasps> yeah. Cornices. It's like a chair rail. Okay. It's a chair rail. Okay. Yeah. Cornices, wainscoting, or paneling to your rooms. Um, while complicated to undertake, a remodel can make your overall vision a reality. So I guess, in essence, we will be adding our own little Victorian touches to our living room because we're going to put yeah. a wainscoting very soon. So Yeah. 
So, Justina, yeah. hmm? you are an arbiter of taste. Am I an arbiter? <laughs> I just need like just make the t-shirts already. Just I'm I, I'm not kidding. It's going okay. in our shop. It needs to be a guy with a top hat and a monocle with a cup of tea. Ooh, I like that. That's cute. I got to write it down. Arbiter right. of taste. Arbiter of taste. I love it. Put it on the back of this bill. Yes. While you're doing that, um, I'll just finish reading this section. So as industrialization spread, ready-made paint became more affordable and color schemes had more variety. Designers experimented with color harmony, color contrast, and the well-loved polychromatic schemes where multiple colors were used on both the, the inside and outside of Victorian homes. Elaborate and complicated stenciling and faux arts remained popular throughout the Victorian era. Floors, doors, window sashes, baseboards, chair rails, and dados were made to look like better woods. Many surfaces in Victorian interiors were marbleized, sponged, spattered, and wood-grained. Toward the end of the Victorian era, the arts and crafts movement brought shades matching barks, leaves, stones, and grasses into fashion. Interior woodwork, which may have been the single most important element in arts and crafts design, would be unpainted. We're going to talk about two very important sections of the home. We're just going to cover the kitchen and the bathroom. So in as far as kitchen styles, Victorian kitchen styles and home decor styles in general were widely influenced by England. More specifically, the English monarchy and aristocracy provided much of the influence. Design for everything from textiles to tiles and wood uh, was ornate and opulent. Typically, wood stains would be dark to complement the rich jewel tones. I love a walnut stain. Oh my god, that's my go-to. I love it. Mm -hmm. Jewel tones of the wallpaper and floral textiles. Wood furniture was also decorated with scrolls and corbels and looked sturdy and heavy. The dark colors were in fashion but also served the purpose of disguising the dirt and coal dust that was used to heat the homes in the cities at the time. Do you think that's why the that parlor um, is so dark? Home is so dark. It's the only room we see with the fireplace besides Sally's, right? But Sally's room is very white. Yeah. Weird. Good maybe, point. Maybe that mem- how we were talking about the house might have been modged podged together over time. Maybe the maybe the upstairs was added at another yeah. time. Or renovated, Ooh. or renovated at another time, and maybe the downstairs stayed more, I guess, original. Original, yeah. yeah. And then maybe they just renovated the upstairs when it was more uh, modern. Good point. That's a good, yeah, good catch. Historic Victorian kitchens of the wealthy would have been a place up for employees of the house and not members for the family. That upstairs, downstairs stuff. So the furniture pieces and spaces would have been serviceable and less ornate. For oh, I don't know if I put it in here. I might have, but I know you watched that uh, farmhouse vernacular mm-hmm, yeah. girl. We got to link her because she has this cool engineering brain of yeah. she sets up her farmhouse kitchen in a Victorian style. And it's so utilitarian. And she's like, she plans it out and she gives you reasons why things were the way they were at that time. And like there were, we're going to get to there. Unlike cabinetry of today, which is fixed to the walls, this is what I wanted to say, and not movable, the historic Victorian kitchen would have had cabinets that could be moved. These cabinets would have been situated around a large work table where the prep for the meals and feeding of the household would take place. Our kitchens today are designed with an outward orientation. This means that the workstations are on the perimeter and the center is open. Victorian kitchen style would have been of a more inward orientation where a large table in the middle would have housed much of the prep and workspace and the movable cabinets featured more storage 
capacity with less workable surfaces. This inward orientation of the historic Victorian style is set up for multiple cooks in the kitchen at once. I love it. I love her her videos. It's so cool to see her work it out. She's I wonder how so, it works in real life for her. So analytical. Mm-hmm. Avi likes Avi actually likes watching her because she's an engineer. Yeah. So he likes how her brain works. Yeah. Um, I just think it's super interesting how she does all the research. She goes back in time and she, you know, I think she's recommended like books of like in the Victorian kitchen and she designed with those um concepts in mind Mm -hmm. like where am i do i need a prep station is this just going to be solely for eating what are the purposes what each station needs its own designated purpose it's even down to her like pantry closet like and the color choices that she painted like that beautiful like golden yellow right yeah it's just like it's so pretty um but i love her videos i love watching all of her stuff i think she did a whole video on a table setting etiquette for like victoria something like that cool yeah i like her a lot so yeah yeah, like her yeah like our kitchens today, like you have big like countertops attached to your sink. And she definitely just has like a sink, little space next to the sink, probably for her dishes. She has like a stand-up. It almost looks like an armoire where you could keep like dry goods or your your dishes. And then like um a table with it's got full it's collapsing arms. A drop leaf table. The video, I don't know if it's that one and specifically but it used to be like a not an embalmer's table it was some kind of funeral table oh the the length of it apparently and like the way the the you can open it up to make it bigger i guess used to be because like funerals were held at home back in the day and they had to put the body somewhere so she has like a funeral table as her workspace table so So cool yeah all right all right so we're we're talking about bathrooms now yeah all right so i love a clawfoot tub I, I love too. a good clawfoot tub. Um, did I tell you my parents put a clawfoot tub in my old bathroom? Oh, sick! I'm telling you, you need to go, you need to take a take a house tour. When, when <laughs> I'm sure they remember taking a house tour. My aunt Blanche, who I was telling you about, who did the tarot and palm or the the tea leaf reading palm reading, mm-hmm. in her apartment, she had a clawfoot tub in her bathroom, and I always remember being afraid of it. Just to go to the, I would go to the bathroom like as a little kid, like a little kid. And I'm like, oh my God, it's going to come to life. Like I was picturing it, like chasing me out of the bathroom. I was scared of that for a long time. That's hilarious. Yeah. That's hilarious. Clawfoot tubs. All right. So yeah, clawfoot tub. A, a clawfoot tub is a free standing tub with curved ornate feet. Um, This was a popular fixture in Victorian bathrooms. These tubs were often made of cast iron and lined with porcelain and were typically quite deep and spacious. Number two is the pedestal sink. A pedestal sink with a porcelain basin and ornate base was a common fixture in Victorian bathrooms. These sinks often had elaborate details such as carved flowers or scroll work. Number three, a high tank toilet. Victorian era toilets often had high tank designs with a porcelain tank mounted high on the wall and connected to the toilet bowl with a pipe. These toilets were often decorated with elaborate patterns or motifs. Were those the ones with the chains? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, number four, pattern tile. Victorian bathrooms often featured colorful patterned tiles on the floors and walls. These tiles might feature floral or geometric designs and were often quite intricate. Number five. They put wainscoting in the bathroom. So many Victorian bathrooms had wainscoting, which is a type of wooden paneling that covers the lower part of the walls. This paneling was often painted white or another light color and might be accented with 
a border of decorative tiles. And number six, ornate fixtures. Victorian bathrooms often featured fixtures such as towel racks, toilet paper holders, and soap dishes that were made of brass or other decorative metal. These fixtures might be embellished with intricate designs or motifs. Ugh, I just like, love all the intricate little little touches. It just makes it so cozy. I know it's not super vintage or retro but i really like seeing even if it's not like a standalone bathtub but the bathtubs that still have the three knob the knobs and like it's the hot the cold and the shower and like the knobs are like the white like the little cross mm-hmm. they're like the white ones i know you can get those still at home depot but to me i'm like oh i feel so fucking fancy <laughs> yeah i think they're cool i think uh-huh. they're really neat yeah yeah so let's yeah. get into like the more realistic side if you're thinking about getting a, a victorian or a, a historic house at all Mm. So this article is called Practically Speaking Hassles and Headaches. Um, and it's, it's just a shorty, little shorty here, but Victorian homes have much smaller rooms and less closet space than most modern homes. Also, like many historic home styles, you'll probably need to do some rewiring and repair the interior plaster and trim to correct house settling. All the elaborate exterior trim can also turn into quite a lot of repair work. Most of the trim styles used on Victorian homes aren't widely available anymore, so you might have to get these custom replacements and they can be pretty costly. The most pressing hassles are often the health hazard of lead paint and asbestos. And we're going to go so deep into this in a little bit after our next break. (laughs) But Victorians raved about asbestos and often used it in construction and decorating. Now we know asbestos fibers are carcinogenic if released into the air. Removal or sealing can be expensive, so make sure to go through the home inspection, um, which we'll talk about after the break again. Just that reminds me of be aware. Remember the tea episode when that that murderer chick like tried to blame the poisoning on the lead in the wallpaper. Yes, but really, she was just a murderer. Murder. Murderer. <laughs> All right. So this is from h o u z z dot i e, and this is eight things. Owners of Victorian houses know to be true. So number one, you lose stuff between the floorboards. It's necessary to maintain extra vigilance when removing jewelry or fishing around for credit cards in a pocket. One false move and your prized possession may have slipped straight through the cracks. And recovering it will most likely involve a crowbar and the discovery (laughs) of various items left behind by previous occupants. Not all of them are desirable. <laughs> talking about maybe a death watch beetle or two. <gasps> yeah. Shit. Dude, the floorboards at work also are very, very, like, don't bother sweeping. All the dirt <laughs> just goes into the cracks. Like, you have to <laughs> vacuum. They're so big. Well, yeah. Uh, they come with, also, they come with strange accessories. If you've recently moved into a Victorian house, you may have inherited a small rubber wedge that's used to prevent windows from rattling in a blustery weather. Or uh, it says this vital piece of kit will immediately be lost, only to be replaced with far less effective equivalents, such as rolled up newspaper or an old sock. <laughs> what? Chimneys can be tricky. Finding clods of black, sooty substance in the middle of the living room rug is nothing new for homeowners with open fireplaces. In Victorian homes, the two reception rooms often share a chimney, so it's possible to light a fire in one room and discover smoke billowing back down in the other. Oh my god. Whoa. Yeah, if this happens, it may mean the feathers have gone. What? I don't know what that means. These are the dividing walls between two flues in a chimney stack. Oh, okay. Chim chimney. I remember that Mary Poppins song. Um, 
Jim Jim Jeru. Jim Jim Jeru. Also, they can stay cool in hot weather. You'll enjoy a pleasant temperature downstairs on hot summer days thanks to thick brick walls and a linear layout that maintains good air circulation. There's a positive to all of those winter droughts. However, the wind tunnel effect created by having windows open on both sides of the house can cause excessive door slamming. So those with a sleeping baby, beware. Wide hallways induce jealousy. If your home is on the smaller side, you may be used to warning guests to, quote, take care on the stairs, end quote. Built during the Industrial Revolution, Victorian houses tend to be long and narrow, with skinny hallways and steep staircases, akin to a sheer rock face. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> they certainly weren't party to any kind of planning consent that required steps wide enough for an actual foot. Yeah. Ad admire this elegant banistered beauty and dream of having space for hallway storage, or at least to turn around without scraping your shopping on the walls we'll talk about stairs more later golly oh, so scary <laughs> um the washrooms run big so visitors may gasp when they see the size of your upstairs bathroom many victorian houses weren't built with a dedicated washroom meaning a bedroom may have been converted for the purpose in later years large sash windows require little privacy planning to maintain modesty while completing one's ablutions <laughs> try a sheer roller blind or window film um can we talk about real quick i told i was telling you about my grandma jones uh old grandma house. Jones. My yeah grandma jones old house um so their house was so freaking old okay mm -hmm. there was if you were in the kitchen uh and you were like you know just having a conversation whoever was in the bathroom upstairs could see there was a hole in the floor oh my god and you could see through and you could see into the kitchen downstairs oh my god what people were doing in the kitchen yeah that's awesome yeah and they didn't have um a laundry room so the washer and dryer or the washer as my grandmother called washer. it yeah 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 a washer the washer and dryer were in the kitchen so the kitchen okay was the laundry room okay yeah. next the fireplaces so the fireplace alcoves require research so having spaces into which you can slot furniture can be handy for taking the heft out of bulky pieces such as a chest of drawers however if you live in a victorian house you probably have played a game of alcove roulette when searching for furniture that fits into fireside nooks each one differently sized even <laughs> within the same room Oh my god. Uh, this would drive Avi nuts. I see. bet it would. <laughs> uh, take a tape measure when shopping, or better still, hire a carpenter to create some bespoke storage. Oh my god. Oh. You should have seen him trying to hang the bathroom door. He, like, we got a new bathroom door for the bathroom on the other side of the yes. Um apparently the door frame was crooked and he spent like a freaking week trying to hang this door trying to get it straight and i'm like dude the walls are crooked you're not gonna get it straight just yeah. hang it and be done oh he, he and aaron will have so much to talk about he nothing in our house is square door. nothing aaron i made aaron hang three new doors here <laughs> nothing square wow um anyway so the last one in this list is you'll be close to next door so the nature of a victorian terraced and semi-detached house um basically they're a mirror image of each other so that either your back door or your kitchen window will probably be near to that of your neighbor hmm. uh, this may lead to good over fence rapport and regular evening beers or seething resentment as next door insists on clipping his toenails on the back step that's oh, disgusting <laughs> 
Uh, the sense of community is a major plus point if you can foster friendships with those in your immediate vicinity. That's yeah. disgusting. Yeah, I don't do well yeah. with with close neighbors. Um, my childhood home, the where, where my parents still live, they're in an attached unit. So next door is a ranch, and they have you know the it's uh, two stories. But when I used to sit on the front porch and like try to read the book, and the next door neighbors come outside, like just like talking loud as shit on the front porch. I hate that. Oh god, it's I hate so that. annoying. I could not wait to to move out of there for that reason. I was like, I like my privacy, and these people are ruining my flow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the room of flow. The room oh. my my zen here. So I don't like that because then I feel obligated to do small talk. Yeah, like, yeah. That's why we live where no in, the <laughs> in the sticks. In the sticks. I really wanted to move into like a Gilmore Girls town. You know, we there are towns around here. There's small town. And I was like, I want like Christmas carolers and like trick or treaters and like do people. You? Like, but do Aaron you? was like, you don't want that. <laughs> so when we found this place, I was like, you are right. And I was, so I, right. I want a wisteria lane, but do I? No, because no. I hate nosy neighbors. Yeah. Yeah. Even our neighborhood, I love my neighbors. Yeah. And they're all the same family, but mm. they all gossip about each other. Oh my God. I'm sure of it. I'm sure. So funny. Avi's so nice to our like he goes over, he talks to the neighbors. He starts Aww. a conversation with people. I don't talk to people. I don't talk to I don't talk to anybody. Like so I see them. I see them from my front door and I go, hello. And that's hey. it. I go right back in my house. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see nothing. I don't know nothing. No. When you know two toes, toes Tony. You gotta keep to yourself or you'll be swimming with the fishes. Shit. I, ain't, I ain't no rat. <laughs> I ain't no snitch. I ain't no snitches get stitches. That's right. Oh. All right, guys. We're going to take a quick break. We have a little bit more. When we come back, we're going to do like my favorite. This is the thrilling, exciting, and interesting to me, The Hidden Killers of a Victorian Home. This is was a two-part kind of series. You can find it on YouTube. We'll link it, but I tried to sum it up. And then we have a little tiny, little, little tiny bit about the Victorians themselves. Justina found Victorian slang from like six months ago. I haven't looked at it because I want her to surprise me with it. That's so, going to be so much fun. I can't wait to do that. Yeah. All right. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Magnolia Street Podcast. All right, guys, are we ready for some hidden killers? Like for being on the edge of like what they thought at the time was like technology and the industrial revolution. Like, like it makes me scared now to, you know, I've had Botox. I've had, you know, like this and that. And I'm like, but am I killing myself? Because at the time the Victorians were like, this is the elite of technology and home ownership but a question jesus christ how much research were they actually doing on any of this new stuff that they were rolling out like in order to put botox into your body like that's got to be approved by the federal drug and like, administration administration right um well, was there an that- fda at the time there was no FDA at the time. Right. I'm pretty sure that's a pretty new concept. So we are very fortunate to live in a day and age where like we kind of are doing a little more research to yeah. back it up before we go exposing ourselves to it. So I know. But you still never know. Like they, a couple know. years ago, they said those jewel cigarettes were they were more healthy for you than actual cigarettes. It's the same fucking shit. You're still putting smoke in your lungs. It's still nicotine. Yeah. So yeah. You know, totally right. Yeah, I guess it's all relative, right? <laughs> the Hidden Killers of the Victorian Home with British historian Dr. Susanna Lipscomb. So, Dr. Susanna, 
I love her so mm -hmm. very, very much, is a professor emerita. And I didn't know what emerita meant, but it's a woman who is the former holder of an office. Hmm. So she's a for former professor, I guess, at the University of Roehampton, London, a fellow of the Royal Historical Society, the Higher Education Academy, and the Society of Antiquities. Like, how fucking badass. That sounds fancy as fuck. I know, and has for many years contributed a regular column to History Today. She has written and edited a number of books, presented numerous historical documentaries on TV, and is the host of the Not Just the Tudors podcast. Oh my God, I have to go find that now. From oh, History Hit. She is also a royal historian for NBC. So she is the presenter of this show. However, there is a woman called Dr. Kate Williams, who is a British historian and author, and she also appears in this show. And I just love these two women. I feel like you would recognize Dr. Kate Williams. She has like super, super curly, beautiful ringlets, blonde, very long blonde hair. And she does a lot of documentaries for BBC. Okay. All right. So the first one we kind of alluded to earlier. And that is death by wallpaper. So the introduction of oil and gas lamps at the time and the abolition of window taxes meant for that the first time the Victorian middle class could put deep, vivid colors into their walls. I don't know what a window tax is. I didn't look into that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Manuals like Castle's Household Guide, which told the Victorians how to do everything, outlined principles of good taste and told them which patterns of what to buy. A window tax was a property tax based on the number of windows in a house. Oh my god. Could you imagine being taxed on the amount of windows you have in your house? Wow. I wonder why that was. It was a significant social, cultural, and architectural force in England, France, and Ireland during the 18th and 19th centuries. To avoid the tax, some houses from the period can be seen to have bricked up window spaces. Nice. That is crazy. That makes... I've seen that on older buildings but uh -huh. i didn't know that was i thought it was just like a like oh we don't need this here anymore or they wanted to <laughs> add somebody was gonna add on you know and they needed well, to block it up pay the tax that's nuts they Does didn't want to say pay how the, much they didn't want to the pay tax the, was? The, the troll toll to get the into two, the boys hole. <laughs> <laughs> boys hole. i thought you're gonna say tony two tax tony two tax yeah so it doesn't funny. say how much the tax was um i guess it depended on the region you were from i don't know there's a okay. whole Wikipedia page. If you guys really want to know about window taxes, <laughs> I do. I do. We, we can go okay. down the rabbit hole, but we're, I feel like we've gone further enough down it today. We could, we'll just, yeah. Leave it. Yeah. Uh, they were influencing a massive market. So wallpaper sales shot up from around 1 million pieces a year in 1934 to 32 million by 1870. Whoa. There was a particular fashion for wallpaper in Shields Green, a brilliant, long-lasting green, which was made from copper arsenite, so arsenic, and therefore, unbeknownst to many customers, potentially poisonous. The Times, um, I'm guessing the magazine, estimated that Victorian British homes contained 100 square miles of arsenic-rich wallpaper. Oh, God. And thanks to a chemical reaction, arsenic was most likely floating around in the very air that they were breathing. So the symptoms of arsenic poisoning were very similar to cholera, which was going around at the time. And that included pain and swelling of the esophagus, difficulty swallowing, dry throat, followed by what was described as agonizing abdominal pain as the whole digestive tract is affected by it. 
followed by vomiting and diarrhea. Mamma mia, papa mia. It sounds so horrible. Oh my God. Also, the Victorian homes weren't heated extremely well, and they could be rather damp. So mixing the dampness together with the wallpaper paste and cellulose, you get the fungal growth. Mm. So fucking nasty. Also, nobody was opening windows because of the smog. And the window so, taxes. They were just bricking And them. the window taxes, yeah. They were bricking themselves into this arsenic in- environment. That's horrible. They they were just closing <laughs> themselves in. Yeah. How terrifying. But that, it's very um, iconic. Like that green, that like neon green wallpaper is very rich. So next is the heating and lighting at the time. The late Victorian period saw the introduction of gas lighting and central heating into the British homes. But at first these were extremely hazardous as the systems lacked stopcocks. I didn't make that word up. And release valves. Stories of exploding stoves and people suffocating as they slept were alarmingly common. So add in electric lighting and the danger just became greater than ever. ever. Hashtag gasolier. All right. So I've been alluding to this crazy contraption from the beginning. So having previously been restricted to candle and firelight, the effect of introducing a controllable light source to the society was enormous. Factories, street shops, eventually houses could now be lit on a scale previously unimaginable, extending the number of working hours in a day. Experiments with gas began in the 18th century with William Murdoch. He was first to use gas on a large scale. However, Albert Winston, who formed the Gas, Light, and Coke Company, became the largest gas company in the world. We'll talk a little bit more about gas companies in a second. His success came despite, or maybe because of, some rather ludicrous initial claims, such as his claim that a room full of gas, when entered with a candle, quote, will never inflame because it is intermixed with the air of the room, and the gas was more, quote, more congenial to our lungs than vital air. End quote. Oh my God. <laughs> um, the Victorian passion for design and decoration led to s- the creation of some stunning and imaginative, what they call gasoliers. These are chandeliers powered by gas. And the gas wall brackets were often adorned with like beautiful glass shades. They're very pretty. You can still buy them online. Very expensive. Of course, you either get one or the other. So a gasolier had the capacity to run gas lighting or electric lighting. So I'll just leave that there for your mind to come up with what happens when sometimes those mix or a rogue spark happens around gas. But also never mind the rivalries that were going on between the gas companies and the gas suppliers themselves. This doesn't just mean like the cutting cost, thus cutting proper, like the product quality. They would go around sabotaging their opponents by dropping the opponent's gas pressures in town. Dude. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Fucking cutthroat. So savage. Savage. So under this falls radiators at the time. So the introduction to the gas central heating meant more rooms could have their own radiators. Basically heating the water and piping it through like a little steam engine. Sometimes 10 to 16 or more of these radiators could be on one system. And that created an immense and extremely volatile pressure. If that system valve was faulty and didn't open up, like, boom. Boom, motherfucker. Boom, motherfucker. Dead. Wow. When hearths and stoves were under open flues and the chimneys 
the ventilation could draw up the smoke and take it out was one thing. However, when stoves started being encased, that's when all the problems with pressure and smoke started happening in the kitchens. And this would lead to so many health problems. Some stoves were sealed units that you would add water into, sort of like a modern day kettle. And these these had no release, va release valves on the stove. But basically, it's a time bomb, right? It's basically a time bomb. Yeah, they had no release valves and they would just explode. Um, like a small time bomb. They, yeah, they didn't understand the pressures at the time. And it wasn't until 1923 that these, that any safety regulations were brought in. Dude, these Victorians were just throwing caution to the wind. Mm -hmm. that nobody, mm -hmm. nobody gave any fucks. They're just like, all mm -mm. right, well, it's, it's fine. If we die, we die. <laughs> it's, it's whatever. It's fine. It's whatever. Yeah. We'll just come back and haunt people. It's fine. Yeah. That's why they're so freaking haunted. That's why. Yeah. That's why. And that's why they're all so fucking confused because they just went in the kitchen to make a goddamn snack and they just <laughs> exploded themselves because they walked into a gas filled room with a lit candle because they couldn't see. Oh my God. Just wanted a snack. Wanted a snack. <laughs> <laughs> So I really recommend going to watch this video because the next portion we're going to talk about is the stairs in a Victorian home and the way that they like kind of take the stairs and put them like almost in a laboratory. They show you with these adjustable stairs how difficult it would be at the time to go up and down some of these. So there were so many deaths and injuries from stairs during this era due to the growth of urban population. The number of Vic Victorians per square mile increased from 390 in 1871 to 558 in 1901. Wow. House, yeah. Houses were being thrown out and packed into smaller plots with little concern about regulation and standardization. Like we talked about, like they're going up so fast, they're being put together, they're not sprawling, they're going to go up. So the way that the house style changed made them much narrower with a ceiling height that could be from 10 to 11 feet high. And this, remember when we tried to do the math for the Owens house height, the Owens yeah. house room's height? Yeah. yeah. The stairs then became steeper to fit in these new dimensions. Wow. So the term upstairs, downstairs came from the difference in staircases. Main stairs were often more roomy and highly decorated. People were spending thousands upon thousands on staircases, whereas the quote unquote downstairs, the servant stairs, were lucky to even have handrails. <laughs> and sometimes these rises, that's the height of the step of nine to 12 inches, their this work, the staff, their height step, the step height was nine to 12 inches, where the standard building code for rise maximum was seven inches. It could only be seven, and theirs was nine to 12. The widths or, you know, the width of the stairs where your foot sits, it's called also called a run, could mm -hmm. be as little or was as little as 6.8 inches when the standard at the time, it could be no, I think it needed to be about 11 inches. Okay. So half a foot, you you would have to turn your foot sideways basically to get down. Not me, because I had little fucking feet. You do have little fucking I'd feet. I'd be just fine in the Victorian <laughs> era. See, I told you I was meant to be in the Victorian era. Science re scientists revealed that on the servant staircase, there were six times more likely to have falls than on the grand staircases in the house. So also yeah, many they just didn't give a fuck about their their helpers and, mm -mm. and their servants. Mm -mm. Fuck these people. Also, <laughs> many Victorian homes were built with non-uniform steps. If a step is a fraction of an inch different than the rest, you're more likely to fall, you know, at that stair that's not uniform. And there is uh -huh. a really good, I didn't link it, but there's a really cool study that they did. Somebody was um, 
took uh cease what is it closed captioning video closed circuit video from a new york subway and there's one stair that is just slightly different and they they put together all the footage of people tripping on that specific stair yeah it's crazy that's crazy yeah i've done i've done that before there's i i have friends that have like their front steps are just like not consistent at all yeah and I always fucking trip going out of there. It's crazy. It is crazy. It is crazy. Yeah, the it's really neat to watch in in this study because they have the normal stairs. You can go down really easy. Your foot has plenty of room. And then they basically like type in their measurements, and the stairs shrink and get taller. You know, oh my they, God. it's really neat. All right. I know you so, said you've seen it, but you haven't watched it in a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If there's anything that we've learned from the Victorians in this episode, it's that consistency was not their greatest suit they just didn't care like yeah. there was no standardized there was no standard for anything right it was just they like, like to ah. think that there was but not within the home right so let's talk a little bit about bathroom killers <laughs> so until the mid-victorian period hot tubs for bathing had stood next to the fire in the front room or kitchen where water had to be warmed and then poured in this meant that servants no longer had uh, to be sort of traipsing up and down the back stairs carrying large amounts of water. God, could you imagine carrying a boiling thing of water oh down some killer stairs? Poor people. Um, this is presumably when the bathroom, as we know it today, as a separate private lockable space from the rest of the house really starts to take shape. However, tubs and flushing toilets at that time had their problems. So mm-hmm. the bathtubs were gas powered. What? Yeah, bro. Many instructions we're very careful to point out that you don't actually want to start turning on the gas until you've got the water in the bath so you don't boil it dry. But they don't really make mention of making sure you don't get in the bath while the gas is on. Oh my God. Could you imagine like the instru- the, the technical writer for those instructions? Fuck that guy. Just boiling yourself to death. So the papers regularly reported cases of scorching so serious they resulted in death. Of course. Yeah, dude. So as well as the toilet, we got the toilet. The sewer systems didn't effect- effectively drain away the waste. Oh. So the gases such as methane and hydrosulfide emanating from the, the human waste was not able to escape because um, they have that, you know, the pee trap and goes outside. Yeah. These gases are flammable and explosive. So they would build up in the sewers and back up back into the house basically and explode what the hell man those were those were trying times what a scary time what a scary time i thought Next... covid was bad no, i'm just kidding i know like at least you're not trapped in an asbestos or an arsenic filled living room with your toilet about to blow my with my window was bricked up jesus <laughs> it's a window tax did i tell you the other night i went to take a bath and like the water like i went and did something else while i was waiting for the water to fill up and i get back and the entire bath is brown oh my god what happened obviously said he got a, a call from the town saying that they were doing some shit with the water and that that might happen what the fuck but then he also said it could be the water heater because we need a new one so i don't fucking oh know my god but i can't oh take my bath god. right now because our water is fucking brown Oh no! What about a shower? Is 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 it the same thing? No, it's just the bath. It's weird. I don't know. Weird. I think it's just the hot water. Like you don't see it in the shower. It could be brown, but I don't fucking know. I only noticed because I filled up an entire bathtub of it, and I was like, "Oh, that don't look good." No, dude. But, that sucks. You know, at least I I didn't boil myself in it, so that's. Do you have Do you have two bathrooms? Yeah, but only the one has the tub. Oh, okay. Yeah. Huh. I wonder. Like, 
I wonder if it's just that line that comes out the bathroom fixture, the the bathtub fixture. Because well, like if you fill up your sink, it doesn't happen. He he tried it with the sink too, and it was brown too. So I think it's it oh, could be the no. water heater. I don't know. Oh, I yeah. could ask Aaron. He's a plumber. Oh, he's a is he a Roto Rooter guy? <laughs> he is a Roto Rooter guy. He, really <laughs> he doesn't work for that company. Oh, okay. No, not that company. But he's <laughs> funny. Oh, oh, Aaron, you're you're a Roto Rooter guy. So what do you fix cars? Because Justina didn't know what the fuck a Roto Rooter guy was. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> all right, laundry. Let's get to laundry. There was a device at the time called the Mangle. All right, and this was a piece of of laundry machinery that aided in basically drying and squeezing out water so it consisted of two rollers on a sturdy frame do you like do you know what it looks like yeah i think yeah 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 Mm -hmm. and it's connected by cogs and in the home version powered by a hand crank or by electricity i can already see where this is going absolutely while the (laughs) appliance was originally used for wringing out water from wet laundry today mangles are used to press and flatten sheets tablecloths kitchen towels or clothing other clothing from the laundry but you can just imagine getting your fingers stuck in there or even like how many clothing got stuck in there and strangled people exactly i'm picturing like even your if it's electric and you don't have control of of your sleeve just getting caught or your apron strings getting caught in there you're just fucking pulled into that shit dude there was a guy (laughs) it wasn't the mangle but like at my shop in shop class and in high school in the print shop i think there was something it was like a printer and it had that same thing, like two rollers on top Box. of each other. And he got his fingers cut in there and it pulled off all his fingernails. Oh, yeah. No, oh. no, no, yeah. no, 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 no. So right. anyway, you are not safe. Where, where are you not safe thus far? The stairs, anywhere, anywhere in the house that has wallpaper or the anywhere in the house, period, apparently. Because yeah. this yeah. is fucked. Yeah. Wow. So to get a little more detailed, we can talk about, we're going to talk about food and like cleaning products. So food adulteration was big at the time. Apparently merchants would substitute real ingredients with cheap alternatives that would add weight and increase profit margins. So chalk, iron sulfate, and even plaster of Paris were added. Alum, and that's aluminum potassium, aluminum potassium compound usually found now in detergents. Mm, Great. You was used for whitening and retains water so that bread would feel more substantial. They would add that shit now found in detergents to bread so the bread felt more like hearty. Oh no. Uh... Oh, <laughs> thank you for pacifying me. Oh no. Oh no. All right. Colorants were also a problem at the time. So lead chromate, and that would that's like a vivid yellow color. What's yellow number a... five? Is that you know, oh, like... I don't know. You know, like the different, the colors they put in, in like, I don't know, sodas and stuff like Mountain Dew and uh-huh, like uh-huh. food dyes. I wonder, <gasps> everybody start looking if you have yellow five, but a picture an American school bus. That's, that's that yellow oh, that we're talking about. Okay. So that, that lead chromate was being used to color mustard. Shut up. Yeah. Gross. Tea could also be contaminated with iron filings, used tea leaves, dust, black lead, to make it look black and green tea could also contain Prussian blue. I'm, I'm guessing the powder and all of these could be lethal. Wow. We need some like dramatic ass music behind this. <laughs> so cleaning products, harsh and hazardous chemicals used in the home could often be sold in shops where very similar packaging was used 
right next to the food items. So the food and the cleaning products looked very similar at the time. So an example would be baking soda looked very similar to caustic soda. Uh-oh. Cases of professionals making mix-ups, such as the one in Bradford, UK, where a physician mistakenly mixed arsenic into a throat lozenge recipe, killing 12 and rendering 78 ill. That's crazy. I wonder if he was ever tried, like if that was like a oopsie-daisy. Yeah, I don't know. Strychnine is white and odorless, was another commonly mistaken kitchen product used in medicine or in the garden as a pesticide. So <laughs> if you... <sighs> Strychnine causes the muscle in the head and neck to contract and then spasm. And this spasming would spread throughout the body. And at times the contraction would be so bad that only the person's head and heels would be on the ground with their back bowed in the middle. Oh. And death would follow closely behind. Death was close behind. I'm making a video. I'm making a video. It wasn't until 1902 that the Pharmacy Act required that the bottles of disinfectants to be distinguishable by touch from bottles of ordinary liquids. Jesus Christ. Painted toys. For children. Uh, I know. Not the children. Brightly colored Victorian children toys were commonly painted with lead paint. Children are always likely to put these toys in their mouths and the lead paint was sweet to the taste, right? But one flake could be enough uh, to poison that child. Lead attacks the nervous system. Even mild lead poisoning can cause encephalopathy and damage the child's development. All right, let's keep on with the kiddos, shall we? So into the mouths of babes, perhaps the most shocking hidden killer of the Victorian age was the newly developed feeding bottle. It was a curved glass bottle to which was attached a piece of rubber tubing and the teat provided the perfect incubator for all manner of life-threatening bacteria. And Mrs. Beaton advised new mothers, I'm guessing that was like a pamphlet at the time, advised the mothers that they didn't need to wash the teat for the two or three weeks it lasted. So they were like given these like new baby bottles and they were like, you don't need to wash that shit. The porous tubing of the and the teat gave the flourishing bacteria direct access into the bodies of the most vulnerable. So along with that, milk. Tests on 20,000 milk samples in 1882 showed that a fifth had been adulterated. But much of this was done not by the manufacturers, but the, by the households themselves. Boric acid was believed to, quote unquote, purify milk, removing the sour taste and smell from milk that had gone bad. Miss Beaton, again, I think we should look into her, told consumers that this was, quote unquote, quite a harmless addition. But she, how many people has this woman killed? She was wrong. <laughs> Small amounts of boric acid can cause nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain, and diarrhea. But worse, it was what boric acid concealed that was particularly dangerous. Before pasteurization, milk very often contained bovine TB, which would flourish in bacteria-friendly environments created by the substance. Bovine TB damages the internal organs and the bones of the spine, leading to several spinal deformities. Wow. Yeah. Ugh. It is estimated that up to half a million children died of bovine TB from milk in the Victorian period. Aww. You think you're doing like one good thing, but you're fucking yeah. it up. So basically this bitch, Isabella Beaton, she was known as Mrs. Beaton. She was an English journalist, editor, and writer. Um, her name is particularly associated with her first book. I'm assuming this is the book that everybody's reading all this, all these tips. All that bullshit. It was basically the Martha Stewart of the 1800s. Oh, God. So her first book was Mrs. Beaton's book of household management. So mm-hmm. she was 
looked to as this like professional in her field of household management meanwhile mm-hmm. she's killing all these people with her advice that's crazy dude i have some old timey like household managements at the inn i'll have to look through and see if there's any miss beaten mm. mm-hmm. <gasps> yeah okay. i wonder if she ever got tried for any of you know just misguiding people with their yeah. advice yeah i'm gonna have to yeah i want to read into her more maybe we'll, maybe we could do an actual whole episode on her she and... could be a she could be a bonus yeah 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 maybe yeah. Let's talk about Ms. Blayton. Okay, cool. Two more, guys. Got two more for you. And then Justina's going to wow me with the Victorians (laughs) themselves. Women's corsets, I think, is pretty well known that they were not a healthy idea for women at the time. They were, quote unquote, to get everything under control. They meant self-reserve, and that was vital to the Victorian women because the opposite was just excess and freedom. So the addition of metal eyelets on the back of these corsets allowed for something called tight lacing. And it's exactly what you think of, I guess, when you think of a corset. Painful. Yeah. Dude, have you ever tried the corset on? Oh, go ahead. I wore a corset this past Halloween because I was a Victorian vampire. Uh Uh-huh. How was it? It was painful. Dude, at the end of the night, I felt like my, like, sides, my stomach was, like, permanently internal. Like, my my skin just felt like it was on the inside. It was... Oh, my God. It hurt. You laced that shit up good. I probably didn't have to tie it that tight, but my boobs looked amazing, so it's... Yeah. (laughs) It's cool to see those like diagrams of what that shit does to your mm-hmm. innards. It just pushes remember, everything down. Do you remember that scene in Titanic when they're lacing her up and she's mm-hmm. like, oh, fuck this shit. She hates, yeah. <laughs> hates it. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, yeah, the corsets exert extreme amounts of pressure on the internal organs and distort the liver, constrict the lungs, and even displace your uterus. So besides, yeah, making basic exercise uncomfortable, they predispose women to more serious conditions like pneumonia and the prolapse of the uterus. And many women continue to wear them even during pregnancy with unhappy results. How is that even possible? Yeah, that is fucked up. That is fucked up. So lastly, celluloid plastics. The first synthetic plastic material developed in the 1860s and 1870s from the homogeneous celluloid dispersion of nitrocellulose and camphor. Chemically, it's very similar to gun carbon and is extremely flammable. It was also unreliable in other ways. The change in surroundings or light or and other factors caused the celluloid to break down, releasing camphor and alcohols into the air and that could be met with spark or flame without a physical presence of the celluloid product itself. So does that make sense? Uh, it sounds explosive. It sounds flammable. That's what I Yeah, got. it sounds flammable as shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it would basically, if that piece of plastic was like in a room and it started to break down, those chemicals could stay in the air. And even if that piece of plastic was taken out of the room, they're mm-hmm. still in the air and it could spark. Yeah. Scary. Man, that's a scary time. I want to go rewatch this episode now because I remember watching this and I was like just fascinated. I was like, Holy it's God. so good. Yeah. Um. So are we ready for some Victorian slang? Hell yeah. <laughs> I think you also sent me the nine things to whisper in a complete stranger's ear. Okay. I read a couple of those. All right. So, but I'm going to minimize my screen. <laughs> Let you surprise me. There's you don't eight... have to read all of them. There's no, they're... I'm going to read all of them. There's eight terms here. Okay. Okay. There's eight Victorian slang terms. I'm going to stick to these eight first and see how I do because I have to, I'm going to, what I'm going to do, I'm going to think of a sentence that contains the phrase and I want you to guess what the phrase means. 
Okay. Does that make sense? I got it. All right. Okay. So number one, I'm not up to dick. I, uh, <laughs> ready? Starting off really bad. I'm not up to dick. Uh, I'm, I'm not up to dick. I had to make a cup of tea because my throat is sore. Are you sick? Like I'm not up to dick. Like you're not feeling right as rain. Yeah. Not feeling okay. well. Not oh, okay. Unwell. Unwell. Okay. Unwell. Not feeling dick. Right. Right. You might know this next one. I feel like this was this one's kind of a popular one. So yeah, I like to wear wear that corset for Halloween and make my uh, Cupid's kettle drums look fantastic. <laughs> Boobs, my breasts. <laughs> Cupid's kettle drums. Cupid's kettle. Shut up. <laughs> oh, we can't use this next one. This one's on the. This, okay, this is the witch bitch amateur hour. They take they they take ownership of of this one. Okay. Okay. Stop running your sauce box. <laughs> Sauce box. <laughs> nice. Your mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There. I'm a little poked up that I didn't know what a rotor rooter guy was. Embarrassed? Huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Poked up. Poked up. <laughs> uh, so, Christina, did you get tight as a boiled owl at ladies' night last night? <laughs> tight, tight as a boiled owl? Tight as a boiled owl. Tight as at ladies' night last night. Like, rip drunk? Yeah. Oh my god. Tight as a boiled owl? You're gonna use tight as a boiled owl. You're gonna use that one now from now on. I can only think of like because like an owl goes hoo-hoo and like if you're drunk you go. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. Oh, all right. So all right. <laughs> I don't know what I'm gonna say for this next one. Did you ever watch the never ending story? That's yeah. not the that's not the phrase. I'm just asking. Oh yeah. Yeah. You ever watch the never ending story? Did you did you did you get the morbs when Artax bit bit the dust in the sand oh i love that like the mormons did, did you get the morbs like the sad did you get the morbs the temporary sadness yeah <laughs> i love that did you get the morbs did right. you get the morbs are you morbs today morbs today all oh, right i gotta well, use that now. what's this there's two more left all right so bitch the pot so we can read our tea leaves <laughs> Bitch the pot so we can read our tea leaves. Bitch the pot. Like dump it? Close. Throw it out? Pour it. Pour it? Oh, yeah. okay. Pour it out. Pour the tea. Bitch the pot so we can find the draft in the cup. Yeah. Bitch the pot. Yeah. And then this next one is funny. This podcast always gives me a giggle mug. Like a, like the giggle bellies? All right. This, this podcast is the reason why I'm always giggle mugging. Pooping? No! <laughs> I don't know giggle mugging like smiling yeah always smiling. oh okay okay, okay always okay. smiling yeah Cute. you did good Cute. you did good giggle mugging you giggle mugging did you, you ever muggin. see uh the alice in wonderland with johnny depp where he's he calls everybody a cotton-headed no wait no not not that what am i thinking of elf cotton-headed... elf cotton-headed yeah muggins <laughs> ninny muggins being such a ninny muggins funny all right so this next one's a lot of fun okay so this one this is nine things to whisper to complete strangers all right okay so get your am asmr voice i'm gonna whisper these to you are you ready i hope you can hear this on my microphone okay so i have the plans do you have the diamond can you imagine hearing that i'd be like the the fish flies at night Yeah, now, now envision, envision saying these to a stranger. Okay, so if you go up to a stranger, you have to say this. Salty peanuts. Salty peanuts. Salty peanuts! Oh my god. I don't know why. I don't know why. It's specifically peanuts, though. Yeah. 
What if it was like mixed nuts? It says peanuts. Okay. No, okay. I don't know who wrote these. I'm just going with it. All right. Okay. Number three, go up to a stranger and whisper this in their ear. Secretly, I am a gorilla. What the fuck? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm channeling Johnny Depp as the Mad Hatter. That's what. I'm yes, saying. you are. This might this might be something you might whisper to somebody if you're on jury duty, and you're like sitting in the like the trial, just like watching the shit go down. Whisper, just whisper to the next person. Does this make sense to you? Like any of it? <laughs> in a what's act- the second part? I'm sorry, I laughed over it. Oh. Does this make sense to you? Like any of it? <laughs> like any of it? <laughs> this next one's pretty funny because it's so random. If somebody came up to me and whispered this in my ear, I'd be like, what the fuck? Pretend we are turtles named Luther and Emily. I don't care who's who. <laughs> <laughs> what? A social experiment. This next one, I probably would say to somebody because, yeah, I can relate. So uh, you okay. go up to somebody and say, are your pockets full of macaroni and cheese too? <laughs> <laughs> that gives me, you know, those TikTok videos of like the the random chick era. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like free hugs. <laughs> you know, this next you. one is 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 good. Just go up to somebody and like if you know if you're running a little late to a party and people are looking at you weird, you just go, "I arrived by elephant." These oh are so stupid. God. They're kind of silly. Mm-hmm. a little silly what this was f- written by random girl who wrote this who wrote this and then this last one this last one's a bit of a mouthful this is this says uh you know under different circumstances i believe we could have been the owners of rival graveyards <laughs> each resorting to increasingly desperate not to mention questionable nay even illegal means to secure how shall we say permanent residence I like that one. (laughs) Can you read the just beginning part again? Rivals of neighbor graveyards? The owners of rival graveyards. (gasps) Justina. We have a t-shirt. I picture like two tombstones, like fucking battling it out. And above it says arbiter of taste. (laughs) Illegal means of, how should we say, a permanent residence. (laughs) So good. I know you have more. I have some for you real quick that so you spending time in California, you know, that like they have their own way of talking. And after so many years, like my, my friend Wyatt and I just developed like a couple of these like things that mean other things. So I'm going to see if you can guess what they might be from the West coast. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, I'll try to use it in a sentence. Okay. All right. If you don't shut up, I'm going to head chuck you in the chunks. Head chuck you in the chunks? Wait, what am I What am I guessing? Head chuck or chunks? It's an action. It's like a verb. Head chuck you in the balls? No, just head butting. Oh, you know, okay. Head chuck you in the chunks. Got it. All right. <laughs> I never heard of that. Um, I don't think I spent enough time on the West Coast to get any of these. Um, I did a workout yesterday and my snakes are tired. My legs? No? My snakes are tired? Arms? Yeah. Arms. Okay. Ah, snake. snake. I'm a snake. All right. So I then I did a workout the day before and my stumps are tired. The legs. Your legs, your stumps. The legs are the stumps. The snakes are the arms. But your your stumps could also be your stilts or your getaway sticks. The getaway sticks. <laughs> just picture a pirate just coming after yeah. you. Like, like, yeah, yeah. I was playing soccer the other day and I got a knee knuckler. A knee knuckler. Uh, a bruise? Yes, it's a bruise anywhere below the knee. Got it. Ah, oh, okay. You're amazing. You're amazing. Uh, um, How about clacking teeth? Talking too much. Mm-mm. Eating too um, much? N- um, w- when Aaron and I are alone together, we like to clack teeth. Oh, oh. 
make out yes <laughs> <laughs> you like to snog do you want to go snogging you want to snog um oh get a good snog snit snog session i think that was it the other ones are just freaking they're just silly but we had different names for boobs Uh-oh. so so older women's boobs are called pizza slices oh like oh triangles. oh no younger women's boobs are called bread bowls i always call them mosquito bites mosquito bites <laughs> mosquito bite. and then men have tortillas because they're flat tortillas and i think that's it if you're if you're jingled jingle jizzed or jazzed you're excited if you're jingle jizzed or jazzed <laughs> i just like getaway sticks that's my favorite getaway sticks it's all like right what else you got for me song the getaway car song okay so 10 weird things the victorians did number one they hosted mummy unwrapping parties did you know that no. like yeah. real people's well now see now i have to elaborate on it because your oh, curiosity God. is peaked so during the period in europe um they experienced a renewed interest in ancient Egypt due to Napoleon's entry into the country. This new fascination was called Egyptomania. Um, so wow. mummies, mind you, had been purchased from Egypt since the Elizabethan period, but things heated up in the 19th century. Tourism in Egypt saw a boom in the period, and many rich visitors would look to bring home a mummy as a souvenir. Ew. Not exactly a fridge magnet, but to each uh-huh. their when returning from their travels, these rich folk would almost immediately hold an unwrapping party, sometimes in public places, but often by invitation only. People will gather around to witness the mummy's bandages being removed to reveal what lies beneath. A gruesome practice and a smelly one, too. It's not something we would be jumping to attend, but at the time, they were incredibly incredibly popular. Interesting. Weird. I would love to be a fly on the wall during one of those parties. Uh, number two, they sent strange Christmas cards. <laughs> Dude, some of these Christmas cards in this section are fucking weird. This one guy just like looks like a turnip, and there, this one looks like a frog shoving its legs up another frog's ass. Oh my god! And then this one just looks like a dead bird. So Christmas cards were a relatively new thing in the 1800s, and they weren't quite as they are today. Uh, there, of course, were some nice heartwarming Christmassy cards, but many were just plain weird. Humanized vegetables, for instance. Oh, it's a beetroot. A beetroot with legs, arms, and a head, oh. wearing a top hat, and a dead bird or frog animals killing each other were all popular images for a festive greeting. Not exactly snowy villages lit up with candlelight and large Christmas trees, but still, who are we to judge? Dude, you have to bring that back for your Bohemian Magic card exchange this year. <laughs> as weird as you can get it. Victorian car- Christmas cards. The beetroot yes. guy. That's funny. Um, Number three, they believed in dodgy science. So science at the time was, for the most part, rather dodgy. They still believed (laughs) in the old theories of the body being made up of four humors, which directly influenced health. These were black bile, yellow bile, phlegm, and blood. Any illness was believed to be caused by an imbalance of one of these humors, so the treatment would include uh, using a variety of remedies that could help balance the humors. For instance, if you had a fever where you are hot and wet, you needed something cold and dry to even you out. Oh. This doesn't exactly hold up to more science, some more hold up to more modern scientific facts. Also, it was popularly believed that the skin could breathe. They knew, of course, that most of the oxygen we need was taken in through the mouth, but they still thought that a fair chunk of this was taken in through the skin. Because of this, they didn't like to cover their body too much while sleeping for fear they would suffocate. Dude, I I must be a Victorian because I legitimately have that fear. I take oh my, my socks off 
I take my socks off like in the middle of the night. Like I can't tell you how many socks I have shoved like stuffed to the end of the bed. If you look at my sheets at the end of the bed, you'll just see a pile of socks because I just they get lost under there. Why don't you take them off before you go to bed? Because my feet are cold at night because at night the floor gets cold. But then when I'm in the bed under the covers, I feel like I'm suffocating. Did I, did you get my Marco the other day when I like, yes, I was like, who sleeps like this? I woke up, one arm was in my robe and the other arm was like, didn't have any clothes on it because half of me gets hot and the other half is cold all the time. So I must be a Victorian because I have that exact fear. Um, Have you ever done a past life regression? No, but I'm fascinated. I want to do one. I I feel like I've had a few past lives. Yeah, classic. Okay, so they didn't like to cover much of their body while sleeping for fear they would suffocate. This theory partly came about because an experiment took place where a horse was covered from head to t- head to hoof in shellac, a resin mm-hmm. used in polish at the time and today used in nail polish. The horse within hours had died. Duh, obviously. Yeah, shellac. <laughs> obviously suffocating due to its skin being covered. In reality, it died from overheating as its body could no longer regulate its temperature. Mm-hmm. A canary dying during the night while in a cage beside someone's bed also led to the belief that the air we breathe out could kill us in our sleep. This meant that many would believe their windows wide open at night to let poisonous gases out. It's all very dodgy, and this only scratches the surface. <laughs> it's all very dodgy. What he said. Um, number four. Have you ever heard of this one? I've heard of this one. It's creepy. They took pictures of the recently deceased as if they were alive. Mm-hmm. So this sinister trend saw a massive increase over the 19th century due mainly to the increase in photographic technology. All right, so often on the death of a loved one, be they young or old, the family would splash out on having a photo taken of them. Of course, they don't want to look they don't want a horrific picture of the dearly departed looking lifeless. They want an image of them dressed up well, sitting up or even standing. They sometimes even wanted other family members to pose with the deceased. To do this, they would dress the subject in their finery and then, in the case of an infant, sit them up on a chair or amongst pillows to give the impression that they are alive. In the case of older folk, they could have them standing using an incredibly macabre post-mortem photography stand. This would hold the torso to keep the subject standing straight and support the oh neck to keep the head upright. Yeah, wow. this is so fucked up. This whole business isn't the nicest, but if you wanted a photo of your loved one and didn't get this when they were still alive, it does make some sense to do it after death. Uh, no, bro, that's <laughs> creepy as shit. Um, number five, they wore increasingly tight, cor- tighter corsets. This lady's uh, waistline in this picture is pretty much non-existent yeah the most extreme taking their waist down to an eye watering 14 inches oh my god like more than a fucking foot that's a lot we talked about the courses before and all the an internal damage it could literally do that's mm-hmm. nuts. Mm-hmm. number six incredible fasting girls I guess this was like a a phenomenon. There were girls who could live on nothing but air. No sustenance required for these ladies. Food? Who needs it? These girls became hugely popular for a time in the 1800s due to their miraculously miraculous ability to survive without eating a single thing. Or at least that's how they marketed themselves. Reality was that they were actually fraudsters. There's there's no shit. Yeah, duh. Using the fame, charlatans, using the fame of living without eating as a way to gain attention and to make money. Molly Francher of Brooklyn was quite famous for apparently living for 14 years without any food whatsoever. Yeah, okay. All right. Uh Number seven, body snatching. This was a huge, huge thing back in the 1800s. So basically, they would study uh, at the start of the 1800s, those studying 
anatomy were legally allowed to have and dissect the bodies of those condemned to death. Sadly for them, this was only around 55 people each year. For the ever-growing study of anatomy in medical schools, however, around 500 bodies were needed per annum. Due to this high demand, body snatching became prevalent with many folk out to get a quick buck. Um, they would dig up the recently buried and then sell the body to the local medical schools. The practice became so widespread that some relatives will often watch over the burials of recently deceased family members. Yeah. <clears throat> Number eight, they used arsenic. A lot. What could make a better skin lotion than arsenic? Nothing, I tell you. Uh, or at least that may have been a Victorian's view on it. Arsenic was used at the time for a whole host of cosmetic products. It was also found in wallpapers, dresses, toys, and even medicines. Uh, this was due to the fact that arsenic was very cheap at the time. Due to the Industrial Revolution, it's one of the most common elements in the Earth's crust, so the increased amount of mining that was taking place meant that it was becoming more easily available. It's not like the Victorians didn't know it was a poison either, as it was one of the most common poisons used for murder at the time. Luckily, though, in 1851, the Arsenic Act was passed, which regulated the sale of arsenic and products containing it. It wasn't an outright ban on such products, but it did help minimize the risk. Murder. So, murder. Yeah. What was the name of that tea, tea bitch? <laughs> oh, I don't remember. remember I don't her? remember. Remember her? She murdered people with the arsenic and blamed it on the wallpaper. Yes. Uh, anyway, go back to our tea episode if you guys want to hear that. Um, <laughs> tea bitch. Number nine. There's two more. Number nine. They had nipple piercings. It said the Victorians had nipple piercings. Granted, this one isn't exactly, it's not exactly weird, but it's just interesting. Of course, today, nipple piercings aren't anything particularly out of the ordinary, but many would be surprised to discover that the well-to-do Victorian ladies were quite fond of them too. If you were suitably fashionable, you could have A or both nipples pierced. On piercing a gold ring known as a bosom ring would be inserted. If you had both nipples pierced, then you could have two rings joined by a chain. Ugh. I'm uncomfortable. Yeah, that's just, that's weird. Um, there were several jewelers offering this at the time, and that is theorized that it became popular because some women thought it would make their breasts rounder and more attractive, as other theories state. It could be that they enjoy the sensation. Cupid's kettle drums, man. Cupid's kettle drums. There you go. <laughs> and the last one, number 10, they believed in electrotherapy. So during the 19th century, electricity was starting to be harnessed more and more for everyday use. It also started to be used for medical practices. This was called electrotherapy. It was used to alleviate varying problems from muscle weakness to gout. The treatment literally meant people paying to be shocked by electricity in the problem area. This would, as you can imagine, leave burns and didn't really do anything to help it's that dodgy science again dude do you remember the scene in secret garden where they take the little hand crank thing and they put it on little the hell is it colin's legs Aww. and it like jitters his legs it stimulates his like leg muscles and it didn't do anything right it didn't do shit because he was fine and he was being a little puss but it was the was it was it what's like the placebo effect or whatever did mm. he i don't remember too much about that movie but was was he faking the whole time or was he really not able um what's the i word? think he was a preemie baby so he was okay. very weak so that the house staff always like cared for him and they always like said he was sick and had a crooked back and like right. just like he stayed in bed so of course his legs are atrophied like he's not gonna be able to walk so well, but they were trying that, to like keep him like healthy do you think that he just felt like he was sick because yeah old he was sick Yes. And when you're told something enough as a child, you believe it. Yeah. And yeah. mind mind power 
like manif- he manifested actually being sick because he just kept telling himself that that's what yep. was yeah uh, but then like the magic of the garden is what like brought him to his realization that, oh look i'm, I'm fine like well, i'm fine right? stop <laughs> now what happened that what happened i think is what's her name mary lennox the little girl was just like stop being such an ass stop you know stop being so spoiled you're so spoiled she's like you're not sick you're not sick yeah she was like that tough like if franny franny was a child i feel like that would be franny like that tough love Mm -hmm. you know yeah i agree i agree yeah Yeah. is there anything that has stood out to you today in our conversation that you're like that was pretty cool um i can't think off the top of my head we talked about so much we talked about a lot. But I want to look at all the pictures of all, like, the types of um, the styles next to each other so I can make an informed decision about which one I like the best. Okay. Should we put a poll? That would be a fun poll. What What yeah. do you guys like? What style do you like the best? Yeah. Maybe, should we make it a patron poll? Yeah. Because that, that then we could put pictures in the post so they could yes. see what each one is. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a hefty episode Thank you, guys. We hope you uh, did not fall asleep. And let us know what you think about Victorian architecture and also look out for tomorrow when we re-release the Owens house. So then it may paint a whole new perspective on on what we discuss in that episode. So happy birthday to me and Queen Victoria and to all the Apple listeners out there who didn't have this episode before. (laughs) Yeah, enjoy the episode. And um, we have some socials. So check us out on instagram at magnolia street podcast um you can support the podcast on patreon for as little as one dollar a month and for that you get a shout out patreon shout out and you have access to all of the patron only polls which you could help us decide on what we're going to be talking about next um for three dollars you get our show notes as well as our after hours posts christina also creates these really beautiful monthly calendars so you can see um all of the episodes coming out throughout the month is that a one dollar or is that the three dollar i think it's a one dollar i think it's for everybody all right so you get those Mm -hmm. and then for the five dollar if you bump up to that tier you get access to our discord and our private facebook community so you get things like uh one facebook live a month as well as one book club meeting a month as well as getting access to the whole community and getting to interact with everybody else that's a resident of magnolia street now over on our uh uh, private communities so that's really fun did you get my invite today i was thinking for our may live instead of doing the live we do a watch party okay that'll be wait where did you send that on to your emails all right for may 28th all right i haven't checked my email yet so i'll go look at that um all right just just a thought yeah what do we want to watch is it going to be the stevie nicks thing yeah i think we should do that one all right cool um and then what else we got we got the eight dollar tier which is all our extra audio visual content so anything like bonus episodes or even the music that we feature in our song episodes we post mp3s up there as well as uh, lyric sheets and any kind of scratch demos or anything like that um we've also had what meditations up there when me and christina get like tarot readings we put our you know the insight from the people who read us and put that mm-hmm. up there mm-hmm. any additional like uncut interview content that we couldn't put in the episode yeah if you guys want in on that uh 
four plus hour content with Isis Chandler. That whole interview is uncut and up on the Patreon, so go check that out. Um, so yeah, lots of a mishmash of of content, audiovisual content, lots of goodies up there on the eight dollar tier. So go check that out. And for fifteen dollars, if you guys sign up for our Marco Polo tier, you get to talk with us via Marco Polo app. You know, on a daily basis, we send you little personalized messages and show you our gardens in real time. So yeah. that's that's pretty pretty good stuff up there. So check it out. <laughs> Leave us a review. Yeah, a review on Apple Podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, leave us a star rating on Spotify. You can also review the individual episodes on Spotify and answer polls and questions within each episode. Yeah, and we have merch. <gasps> we got merch. We We're going to be adding Arbiter of Taste. Arbiter of Taste. It's getting added. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that is through our Teespring shop and the link will be uh in our show notes. Yeah, and also we have all of our links in our Koji bio on our Instagram. So yeah, yeah. we're everywhere. We everywhere. We everywhere. I need to take a shower. I smell. I know I'm going to. I'm going to. I think that's if you need anything from us, Magnolia Street Podcast at gmail.com. I'm Christina. I'm Justina. I'll see you next time. Is that good? That's good. At that house down the street. At that house on Magnolia Street. Would you go down to Magnolia Street with the wisteria girl? Wow. And the house of magic and mystery. So